Bang. On the Empire Podcast this week, it's another incredible hat-trick of guests. First, we're chatting, not fighting, with Fighting With My Family director Stephen Merchant and his star, Florence Pugh. Well, I can't call him The Rock, can I? Like, if I see him, I'm going to call him Dwayne. And then we talk football and audiobooks with the Aftermath's Jason Clark. I don't think any, I've seen any Australian actor do a good Irish accent, though. Irish good is Welsh tough. One. Very tough. All that and more on the movie podcast that just had its first Cadbury's cream egg of the year. Other cream eggs are available. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, Helen O'Hara is off running the marathon right now, literally as we speak. I think she's just about to finish it. Uh, so it is, apart from producer Jane, of course. Hello, producer Jane. Hiya. <laughs> Once more, we're feeling producer Jane. Hi. There we go. That's much better. It is a swinging sausage fest. Uh, my two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week include, and again, I'm touched that he's he's deigned to come on our podcast. Uh, he is a mega famous world star. He is a global figure. He is the star of Jurassic World. He's not the star of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but he is the star of Jurassic World 3, Edmund's Revenge, Nick Dissemblian. How are you? Unconfirmed, but but definitely happening. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> I thought I'd just swing by with my entourage today just to update you on some Jurassic World news. Yeah, and your, your entourage is, is James Dyer and producer Jane. Yeah, I mean, the others are around. I mean, they're, they're sure. just colleagues. It's just mm. people that you've, mm-hmm. you happen to be in a room with. It's not really an entourage, is it? So there's some Jurassic World news. There's going to be a short film. This is so exciting, I, I don't think it can wait for the news section. I genuinely don't know this news, so please. So there is going to be a Jurassic World live-action short playing before Hobson Shaw this summer. What? Yes. Like a Pixar short, you, but with dinosaurs. Are you making this up? I'm not making this up. How have I missed this? Well, I'm just saying, us Jurassic World stars, we have a, an internal <laughs> network of news. It's and, a WhatsApp uh, group. They're all on a WhatsApp group. Yeah. This short is going to feature a brand new dinosaur species. Oh, God. Is I'm it gonna, the Tediosaurus Rex? <laughs> I'm going to attempt to say it. I'm going to murder it like Ken Wheatley was murdered. Nasusuteratops. I think you just summoned a demon. <laughs> Are you in it? I can't confirm that. You know, I, I've got. I, there's a lot of paperwork. Um, Edmund might be writing the Nasusuteratops. <laughs> yeah, or it might be a film about him learning how to pronounce it. That'd absolutely. be fun. I'd watch that. That'd would be you great. Watch that before I would absolutely watch that. Uh, anyway, so welcome, Nick. That's fantastic. And. Uh, also in the podcast this week is another global figure, an icon, if you will. You don't you see, you don't like it when I just say, "Oh, James Dyer is also here," which is nice, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, when I start giving you a big introduction, you want to give me the side eye. So, no, because I'm, I'm waiting for the sting in this. There's, there's no gonna, sting. No, there's going to be there's something. No sting. There's going to be something. There's I will be the no butt sting. of some kind of joke. There's genuinely no sting. I am reaching out the hand of friendship. All right, go on. Carry okay, on. go on. He's a global figure. He is an icon. He is revered wherever he goes, mainly by himself, but. Uh, he is the host of the Pillock TV podcast. Is that right? Pillock? More or less. For every week, James is joined by two Pillocks to discuss uh, TV. Is, yeah. that, is, that, is that, I understand roughly that's what the podcast is about. Broadly speaking. Okay. Yes, I've started listening to it. He has. Oh, and, no. and it's better than this one. <laughs> Do you know that uh, we have a new segment starting in the Pilot yeah. TV podcast this week, whereby readers send in specific episodes of comedy shows for me to explain in excruciating detail why I don't find them funny. It's going to be a it's classic. It's a stone-cold classic. I've changed my mind. <laughs> this, this, this podcast is far superior. Do not listen to the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, my word. Okay. Well, not to be missed. That's very exciting. And people can, of course, find the um, Pilot TV yes. podcast yes. in um, oh, skips, mainly. <laughs> Also on iTunes. Podcast skips on iTunes, wherever it is that you, you want to check it out. I, I just want to have a quick chat about... Um, well, it's cream eggs, because I did 
genuinely just had my first cream egg of the year. I have a question for you about cream eggs. Why How do they, they get the cream aside the egg? Go, yeah. Why is it not creme? <laughs> yeah, why is it not a creme egg? Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> There's no circumflex on it, but it should be creme egg, surely. <laughs> creme. You know. <laughs> it's like, you don't call them a... What's the David creme... Simon... How's the David Simon TV show pronounced? I mean, it's, it's not a cream brulee, is it's it? It's creme, right? It's not a cream brulee. Yeah, so it should be creme. Yeah. Well, no, that, well, I don't know, that's Creole, isn't it? I don't know. Mm. Mm. Should we, first of all, for our listeners around the world who may not know what cream eggs are, because I'm, I've gone to the States a couple of times, I don't think that it's a thing over there. So over here in the UK, we have these incredible things called Cadbury's cream eggs. So they're eggs filled with a sort of yellow and white fondant, and it's absolutely incredible. But mm. the best thing to do, here's the best mm. thing to do. You get the cream egg, you stick it in the fridge. You stick it in the fridge overnight, you take that bad boy out and it's hard to eat. Yes, you have to bite into it, you have to crunch into it and it maybe breaks your teeth now and again, but that's totally fine because it's a much more pleasurable experience. I don't like it when the, the fondant inside oozes over your fingers. Nick, what's your cream egg game? You sound like Jigsaw. Um, <laughs> I don't really have one. I'd forgotten that they existed until What do you mean now? you've forgotten that they existed? I haven't existed. had a cream egg or They're a creme egg for about 10 years. And now and I've be- heard you two going on about them. I don't want one. No. Why not? It's a sensual experience. Not the way you describe it. You unwrap it. You can do things with your tongue that, frankly, should be banned in at least 38 <laughs> very states. True. You're putting me off not just cream eggs, but chocolate and food in general. <laughs> uh, anyway, here comes the question. We have a question. Should we have a question? Let's have a question. And the question is via Twitter, and it's from at Leith Dave, David Hamilton, via the Twitters. And he asks, would you recommend staying up to watch the Oscars? Any tips to enhance slash endure the experience or particular things to watch out for? And Dave, you've come to the right place mm. because we are the kings of staying up for the Oscars. We have done it for many, many wonderful years, uh, quite often together as the Empire team. This year, I'm abstaining. As is Nick. Yeah. You're both leaving me and John. I'm, and, having, and a bo- ben. I'm having a bohemian napsody. <laughs> it doesn't really work because I plan to sleep for eight hours at least yeah, uh, but I'm not staying up I cannot get excited about this year's Oscars I'm sorry I feel that by staying up all night to watch this I'm putting in at least 70% more effort than the actual Academy for this year's ceremony <laughs> uh, my, my my best Oscar I would say is 2000 and I'm going to guess around 2002 I'd, I'd have to look up when Crossroads came out but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I stayed up in the office and I had so many cups of tea I was caffeinated off my tits and I took the train home try to go to bed spent two hours trying failed so got up went back into london and interviewed britney spears wow what a day yeah and how did that go down i mean <laughs> i don't have a great deal of recollection but i'm sure it was life-changing for her that's amazing yeah yeah we used to used to um uh, you know and we still will coverage will be on the empire website this week at empireonline.com on sunday night and there'll be twitters and tweets and all twitters sorts of stuff and live blogs all sorts of lovely and pictures stuff. and just i won't be yeah. doing this yeah. year so it won't be any fun hmm. I mean, I've never really stayed up for the Oscars so much, but the Bondathon is probably the biggest endurance test I've done. We did 44 hours. Or indeed anybody. Uh, 44 hours straight of Bond movies, um... which included 17 hours of Roger Moore, uninterrupted. <laughs> and Moonraker <laughs> broke me, because that film is almost three hours long, and there is an hour <laughs> space battle in slow motion. And I remember just walking, we were on Oxford Street at that point, I yeah. remember just walking around the plaza and chain-smoking my I didn't even know there was a plaza in Oxford Street. Where, where did you walk? 
I don't know. It was so bleak. I was just a broken man. And then I remember, I remember when we got into the Timothy Dalton, we got into the Timothy Dalton points, and I, my brain stopped being able to link shots together. So I could look at the screen and see something that was happening, but yeah. I couldn't relate it to I... the next shot. And I was, I remember we had, I got a tub of instant coffee from the kitchen, and I was literally just rubbing it into my gums at that point. <laughs> that, is that a tip? What? If that's a tip, you're that's welcome. A tip, yes. Like like a cop in a in a in a crime movie. Yeah. It's just you know, you know that thing they do where they go, this yeah. is cocaine, and then they just they rub it. They rub it their gums. I think I put some in my eyes. This um, is Nescafe. Mm. So I don't know if that's a tip or a cry for help, but you're welcome yeah. to it. That's amazing. For people who don't know what Nick's talking about, in 2006, in the run-up to the release of Casino Royale, and everyone was really excited about this this brand new Bond, uh, we decided to do a Bondathon. So Nick, myself, and Sam Toy, who used to work at Empire and used to uh, shoot and cut all the fitty bloggy zones that we that we did. And if you don't know what they are check out the Empire Magazine uh, YouTube page and you'll see some absolute lunacy from back in the day from the Cannes Film Festival and Comic-Con and stuff like that. But anyway, so we decided to watch all 20 Bond films in a row. In tuxedos. We dressed up in tuxedos uh, and we we did it in the lobby of one of the floors at our old building. And um, it was it was hell on earth in front of a um, fish tank. In front and the of the fish, fish were shaking their heads at us. Even yeah, the fish. You know, I think three fish committed suicide during. <laughs> they were slamming their heads against the glass during view to a kill. <laughs> I remember you talked to a nutritionist beforehand. Did I? Yes, you you did an interview with a nutritionist, and she gave you lots of advice, which you ignored <laughs> completely. Ignored. And you and Sam ate KFC buckets of fried oh, yeah. chicken. Like I'm surprised none of us died that weekend. It was just horrendous. It's just like a fast food again. But we watched all twenty films in a row with a five-minute break in between each film, and every three films we would take a 20-minute break. And the idea was, you know, you would not sleep. But, uh, listener, I must confess, I did a little sleep. I, I think... Which I, one? I don't recall The World's Not Enough <laughs> at all. I don't recall watching well, it. Well, neither do I, and I saw it at the cinema. So. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it's no just one a made blur. It remembers it's it. a blank. I didn't sleep, and I just want to put that on the record. So yeah. just to wheel us back to the question, you're Cream not, eggs. Yes. You're not going to watch... That's creme. Uh, you're not actually going to watch the Oscars. No. You're going to sleep. Mm-hmm. You might get up during the night, maybe, and check out the live stream. Sorry, streme, uh, at some point during the night. <laughs> yes? Uh, I won't. But the last time I did this, last time I skipped the Oscars, was the year that uh, the Moonlight La La Land controversy. So wow. maybe I will pick an, another equally good year to ignore. Yeah, but in terms of tips, mm. I mean, there aren't really any tips. Just sleep in late on the day. So sleep in late on a Sunday. So don't get up stupidly so it's 7, 8 o'clock. So by the time you get to 1 a.m. when the thing actually kind of starts, then you're actually a bit compass mentis. So you'll be fine. Um Drink lots of stuff that'll you know kind of keep you up, but not too much caffeine. Otherwise, you won't get you won't get to sleep at uh, six or seven a.m. And for anyone's watching, I'll see you on Sunday. See you on Sunday. Check it out at Empire Magazine on Twitter and EmpireOnline.com. Uh, okay, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, you can get in touch via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast as Leith Dave did, and uh, much to his cost. You can Facebook us as well, uh, where we're Empire Magazine, and you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. How exciting. Okay, time now for our first guest. And again, you might be wondering why we have three guests this week. And again, it's my fault, because I forgot that we have a live show next week. We're going to be at the Glasgow Film Festival next week. So therefore, the guests I had booked for next week's show had to be brought forward to this week. Seems fair? Seems simple? It's a nice problem to have, quite frankly. Uh, our first guest this week is an Australian actor who could be seen in next week's drama, The Aftermath, about a British colonel and his wife who moved to Hamburg in the immediate aftermath of World War II, only for her to fall in love 
with a local man whose house they have taken over. The local German man, in fact. Uh, Kira Knightley plays the wife. Alexander Skarsgård is the bit of rough. And Jason Clark is the cuckolded British officer. And Clark is our guest this week. He has made an impact on all kinds of movies over the last few years, from Zero Dark Thirty to Dawn or Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I'm never quite sure which one it is. And I had a blast chatting with him about history, football, and my old obsession, Australian actors who could do accents. Uh, I will say this is the interview that I did on Two Hours Sleep, and I'm pretty sure you can tell. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the quite jet-lagged, very jet-lagged, impossibly jet-lagged. How would you describe it, Jason Clark? Where are you? Where are you on the, on the scale? I'm a little jet-lagged, but I'm okay. You know, I've got a nice little, you know, warm little cashmere here, and I'm, I'm just going to treat myself gently. And you've got my smooth, lilting Irish And I made tones. a lot better for you on your 2 a.m. trip back, you know, from Liverpool after a... After a hard-fought draw at home. Oh man, it was mm, just—it wasn't—it mm, wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun mm, trip home. I tell you that mm, much. Everyone just holding yeah, on to it. Yeah, getting bunch back of backed-up Liverpool fans. I tell you what, I did do though. I I, I binge-watched Barry on the uh, on the coach. <laughs> Have you seen that show, Bill no, Hader's show? No, oh no, man, no, you should no, you no. should check it out. <laughs> no, I know, do you I binge know. watch stuff, Jason? Do you, you know, is that how you while away the jet-lagged hours or um, long flights? What do you What do you do? Yeah, I do. Or uh, I'm big on Audible. I love... Really? Yeah, I really do. I love a good book, particularly when it's well-read. Okay. A good history book, usually. Okay. Some good novels. It depends who's reading it, though. And Can then, you... yeah, I'll binge watch as well. It's, it's okay. a great way to... Binge is a funny word, but it's a great way to you know, to watch a number of episodes at the same time. So you take away the, the drama of the edit or like you've got to tune in next week kind of thing or, you know, you know, yeah. just let it go over and, and wash. Yeah. You know, absorb it. That's why I love to watch that. Yeah. You, you're obviously um, you're about to be in Catherine the Great. Yes. For Sky. Yes. And I think binge watching has changed the way that, that shows are made. Yes. You know, the shows used to end on a huge cliffhanger, come back <clears> next <throat> week. Yeah. Now it's, 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 it still can be like that, but it's yeah. a bit more gentle. Was, was Catherine the Great made with that in mind, with binging in mind, or is it very much, come back next week? No, it's not come back next week. Yeah. It's some... Um, She's only Catherine the Good now. Come back next week. <laughs> she was Catherine the Mediocre this week. But come back next week. <laughs> no, it, it's, you know, it's, it's cut together like a big, massive movie, a big, grand David Lean movie, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. But, um, you know, the director, Philip, was English, and he was just, oh, my God, so impressive. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. You know, when you want big and, you, you know, you're having to make decisions about your shots or, you know, if this crane is going to take up half your day but you want it, you know, you've you got to know what you're doing because mm-hmm. you, you, you can't drop anything in that day because you're moving on. It's just, yeah. it's just the preciseness, which is wonderful. What do you look for in a director? For example, you know, James Kent with this movie, with The Aftermath. Well, somebody who's going to, you know, be my captain, my captain, you know? Someone that you'd be willing to stand on a desk for at the absolutely, end of the Absolutely, absolutely, you know, and... and you know, yeah, and I guess in a literal way, like somebody that's going to allow you and force you to be stupid and make mistakes and go after something, you know, and and encourage you, and you know, it's it's a it's a, you know, it's it's you're there to serve them, mm. but you know, you shouldn't you're not the, they shouldn't make you feel like you're there to make them happy, yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a, I think you know, in any kind of art or whatever, you know, there is no right and wrong, but know? it's, it's there, not football. 
Because <laughs> it only matters if it goes in the back of the net. <laughs> There's only one thing that matters, precisely. One nil, two nil. That's, no, no, that's no, it. It doesn't matter, yeah. That's it. But how, how, do, you, how do you assess that with a director? Do you, cause do, you, do you have time? Did you go for lunch with directors? Did you meet James beforehand? Did you, do you affect um, them, essentially? Or you, is it just you, a I mean, you Skype and talk on that a lot, you know? I yeah. mean, you get it from, you know, you get it from A, the script, and B, from other people involved, um, and then a sensibility, you know, just having a chat and then... You know when you work and you you unfold as you go along, you know, and they've because it, it comes down to trust at the end of the day, which is why I always had a hard time with auditioning and all that because it's like there was no sense of giving trust to get trust. So I was always hanging on. I was like you, Liverpool, so I was hanging on to it quite tightly there. You know what I mean? I was squeezing my butt cheeks. I felt resentful about opening myself up if if somebody else wasn't there until they decided to give me a job. You'd go in fearing the worst. You'd expect It'll, rejection immediately. <laughs> Leadership, the captain, you know, someone that's going to, you know, you've you've got to give trust to get trust. It's a it's a fine line, you know. Even to tie this into aftermath, because here we're on a journey. It's like you've got to extend the hand if you want these people to build and come back and be friends. You know, you don't go from destroying each other and obliterating each other to you know to where Germany are now. You know, I'm being providing great leadership, I think, in the world and on a number of things. You know, still with their own issues. Of course. You know, after something as horrific as World War Two, without a bunch of people, you know, reaching out, both, you know, putting it out and accepting that hand and 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 deciding to come together. You know, because mm. it very easily could have, you know, in a lot of other nations, they've had just ongoing conflicts for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. As, 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 you know, it's a it's a very timely movie in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, that's a funny term though as well. Like, you know. Yeah. Everyone, you know, what is the, you know, what's the point? What do you want people to take away? It's like, you know, well, you know, it's, it's A, it's entertainment or B, it's art and hopefully it's both, you know. Um, and history is prologue anyway, you know, mm. since when have we had such disrespect for history mm. that we no longer consider it essential to learn it? I mean, I find it, I find it, actually, I find it wonderful, good and bad, that the way they're looking at how history has been written and what they want to teach in schools and how we go back and look at things. Um, you know, education is important and, and you shouldn't mess with it lightly because, you know, as as well as their problems, it has worked as well, you know. Yeah. Society in the world has, has benefited a lot. So, but, you know, history is kind of like forgotten, you know, and it's like, so, it's of course it's timely. We're not in the, you know, is this the worst of the time in history? We're far from it. You know, we we stand with so much benefit. Yes, is there, yeah. as, is there things to sit by? And just, no, of course. Mm. There are massive big things to do. And, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's silly to think that every generation and every thing is not going to have causes and, you know, and, and choices to make and, and a time to define. Mm. It's crazy. I mean, my, my parents actually grew up in the Second World War. My dad was just about old enough to tell yeah. me about things like yeah. bomb shelters and yeah. and the air, the sirens going off and uh, yeah. you know the blackouts and uh, see I always find it funny that because I'm an Australian in this yeah. you know and 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 I don't have that connection in the history from it as well but I've always found it interesting that you know and I guess things you'll joke about you know that English stiff up a lip and that and you know, all that and I and it is there and I get it but there was a sense of also of doing their job a sense of commitment, a sense of taking personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And a guy like Lewis in this film, in, in a modern world, people say, oh, he's, he's, he's wonderfully humanitarian. And he might have been. I'm not saying he's not. But he was also a guy that just did his job. Mm-hmm. And by doing your job and being human, he can't, in this movie, he can't kick out a 14-year-old girl. So there's just, there's just you know, some basics of, of like, it's easy to define or put them into something. But, 
you know what, yeah, we didn't have PTSD and maybe they it was good or bad or whatever, but, but they got on with it. Mm. These people did extraordinary things in this small little window of, mm. of putting this putting neighbours and nations that, oh, my God, mm. had so much reason to hate and punish again. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a period of history that, you know, you know Hollywood movies have covered World War Two yeah. in great depth. But this, yeah. it has been covered, the aftermath and yeah. uh, what happened immediately after the yeah. war. Um, in terms of repatriation, that's always very, very. In, that's a very interesting. Even Land of aspect. Mine. Did you see Land of Mine? I did see that. Yeah. Wonderful film. Yeah. I hadn't seen thought about that. These boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, extraordinary. You know, so you hear somebody say, "Oh, we've had enough of World War Two. It's like, come on, really? As a as a history buff, as somebody who listens to history stuff on Audible, history yes. books. Yes, I love it. Is that one of the the chief appeals of a, of a movie like this as well? Oh, of course. I mean, as an Australian, you you know, you don't, you know, you we grew up watching these BBC, you know, period pieces and all that. I mean, I still want my sheep farming Dorset kind of, you know, you know, kind of things. You know, we're busting with emotion, but I'll go and have a cup of tea instead. You know, or standing around in the rain, you know, yeah. looking at those green fields, you know. Yeah. History's not just, you know, boring, you know, part, but it's also the stories inside it. I mean, getting ready for Catherine the Great, there were some extraordinary books. Mm. Simon Seabag's book on the Romanovs. I mean, you know, the, the Mad Tsar, mm. Ivan the Terrible. I mean, they're incredible tales within the tales of such, you know, robustness and insanity and slaughter and, 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 and you know, funniness. I mean, it was just crazy. It's wonderful. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's better than any fiction at times anyway. You know, and you yeah. get a good reader. Yeah. Like Frederick Davidson was reading the... Was reading the um, the uh, Peter the Great book, wonderful sense of, you know, dry, you know, English, you know, really enjoying his words, you know. And so you'd be reading about mass horror and just listen to him just chewing the scenery. <laughs> Audiobooks are interesting because people, the, the, the people who read them do all the voices. That that always, yes, that always intrigues yes, me. Yeah, and it's always, you know, when you get a good one. Yeah. So I use them for accents as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, get, you know, you might get somebody reading, say, Huckleberry Finn in, in, in you know, that accent you're after. Mm-hmm. You know, and even and even you know, it's good to listen to an English reader in the Catholic, so I could so I could work on my English voice at the same time as well listening to the history. I love it. <laughs> you know, you walk around and repeat it, and you know. I was going to ask about your uh, proclivity for accents because mm. uh, people who listen to the podcast regularly will roll their eyes now because I ask pretty much every Australian actor <laughs> I interview about accents because mm. it just seems to me I don't know whether it's something in the water, but all Australians seem very adept at accents: English, American. Other bits of English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just I don't think to... any, I've seen any Australian actor do a good Irish accent, though. Irish a good is Welsh tough. One. That's Irish tough. Irish is tough. Very tough. <laughs> I won't challenge you now, Jason. No, don't, I wouldn't don't do worry. it. Don't you you worry. Know, I don't think I'd do it, actually, as a character. Cause it, I, it's, I don't think I could get there. It's so it's impossible. There'd be some Irishman one day that just would walk up and just <laughs> shove you in the back and, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, I am incredibly judgmental of people doing Irish accents, but where, where does this come from? Is this something that, that's that natural? I mean, you know, on a basic level, you know, I could sit here and wax lyrical, but necessity. <laughs> if we don't do it, we don't work. Yeah, you know, outside of Australia. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm one of these people that that I work hard if I have to, you know, but. You know, I'll sit here at the Dorchester and relax if it's there as well. So it's like, you know, it's it's a great thing for Australia. I think that's also why Australians work a lot because they have to work hard. Mm. You have to get there. You have to do it. Mm. But was there something that... Yeah, that, that it was like a very neutral voice, you know what yeah. I mean? It's very back, you know, it's a very thing. It's um, So it's it's something you can wrap 
you know, your, your, your head around RP or mm. an American accent. And um, personally, I love doing them. I don't really, I get a bit nervous about using my own voice or my own accent in, in anything anymore because it's just, it's wonderful to go and be something else. You know, it's like putting on a wig or putting yeah. on a wardrobe or putting on a, you know, it's fine. It's one of the first things I'll do. I have a couple of dialect coaches I work with and, you know, finding that person's voice is essential mm. to finding that the way they construct thought. Mm. And then it all seems to flow from that, you know. Mm. Do you uh, do you do you go method on set? Do you speak in the accent no. in between takes? No. No. Okay. I, you know, if, if I need to practice, then I will. I do. I do a lot of work, though. You can't just do. It's okay if you can do it for. Oh, you don't want to mimic. You know, I'm not a mimic. Yeah. So if I feel like I'm mimicking, then I'll feel fake on set anyway. So mm-hmm. it's it's within. You pick a tonal range within that for me. You know, you work on it, and then you drill. You know, it's great if you can do it for half an hour, but you know, you need to do 16-hour days. So, mm. and your mouth can get very tired. Mm. You know, like going to the gym. So you'll you'll have to build it up. You know, I'll have stuff on my phone and I'll just listen. I'll you know I'll do one hour, two hours, three hours. You know, mm. maybe I might do two, three hour sessions just to make sure that I really can get there if I have to. Just drill, drill, drill. That's where a good audible book comes in. You know, I was you can sit say. there and listen to it and just you start to you know to get into it. And then yeah. there you there you go. And what, what's the goal? Is the goal to have it sounding right in your own head or to meet your dialect coach's expectations or the di- the director's? No, meet no expectations in the yeah. end. I mean, yes, you want to serve the story and the director, but I find, I've, I've always find, I think I was talking to Kira about this, the idea of there is a right way, incredibly scary. I've got to get it right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, it's like asking a cat to hit a mark, you know? <laughs> I mean, I just, in Pet Cemetery, we use these little things for the cat. Yeah. It's not always going to hit that. Um, you know, and... In a sense, we're the same. There is no... There's 64 million ways we could do this scene, mm. you know? And I don't want to get stuck into that. I'm going to be bored if I do the same thing. And if I'm bored, well, the audience is going to be bored. <laughs> so, you know, it's... You know, actors have a right to play and to find it. And increasingly, you know, we, you know, you, it's two, three, four takes on me. You know, they're moving so quickly yeah. that the window of enjoying your work tightens up. You yeah. know, I think that's why it's such a... It's a... It's a, it's a Actors are increasingly becoming, you know, end product focused rather yeah. than the experience itself. Um, so you're not there to please, you know, you, you of course, you know, when Tim Monick sits there and watches it, I'm very interested in what he's got to say about it and what he finds. But you've got to make it your own, you know. You've got to – you do it because it, it just slowly it slowly seeps into you. Mm. You, do, you do as much as you can, you know. And then hopefully by the time you cross that line, it's it's going into you. And what you need is the other actor then. Yeah, what you yeah, need yeah. is is the director. And then finally what you need is just action. Yes. You know, and you, you're trying to time it like a ship crossing the line in the America's Cup that you've got enough wind in your sail to go. Amazing. I think that's it for this episode of Chris Hood and uh, Australian actors I'm bang on about accidents. <laughs> we are going to talk about football. That's, um, that, that we're putting, we're putting, oh, the, football we're putting the lid on that one. Uh, so how does an Australian uh, grow up uh, as an Arsenal fan? How does that happen? Well, I, you know, I, I think as a, as, a, as a little boy, the idea of the Gunners, you know, really appealed to me, you know, on a basic level. And then, um, <laughs> and then, you know, I was into it and you picked a team and I followed it for a while. And then I really got into it in the old, uh, you know, when Dennis Bergkamp first came. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Arguably, I think, probably the greatest import. <laughs> to, to the Premier League at that time. Uh, yeah, at that time. Um, let's, let's go with that. And probably, you know, an old time. Dennis had it all. Sublime. Um, 
So, you know, and that was it. And then, and then we went into the glory years. The glory, but still unsatisfied. I really felt we should have won, you know, we should have won a Champions League in there yeah. or, a, or a Europa Cup or, you know, or something other than just, and more than two premierships. Um, but, you know, we had that, you know, you know, when I saw, this is out there, I mean, not that I'm trying to wind up the spot in the but when you saw Big Sol and Patrick Vieira and Thierry Henry and... Fabulous Freddie and you know Robert Perez were a good-looking team as well as you know good football team and that's it was just that's they were the glory years and then now we just you know we quietly yeah. suffer. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it must be miserable being in fifth place. It must be it must be terrible. What that's hurts what, is I you know is a growing. Time. I mean, you go on these these chat shows. You know, I mean, you see them online now. I mean, commentary's changed, hasn't it? With you know, um, all these online dudes, but. Yeah, I mean, a lack of ambition. It's funny because we talk... Alex Skarsgård and I in this film would talk football all the time. He's a big football fan. Okay. But he supports a team in Sweden, which is like at the bottom or the second... <laughs> and I was like, what? You, know, why, why, you know, what's going on? And he said, man, I just love my football. I love to go. and I love to know that my team is fighting for everything mm. they get. They might not win, but they fight. We sing. We bond. We play. Yeah. You know, they put it all and they leave it on the pitch. Oh, the last thing but actually, one more thing. Yeah. A big shout out to David O'Leary. Oh, um, okay. I saw him. I was sitting on Catherine having uh, lunch at the hotel in St. Petersburg. And um, this guy walked up. Excuse me, sir. I, I was too nervous to say hello to you last night. I wanted to say, I turn around. It's fucking David O'Leary. He says, would you really mind? I said, dude, you're David O'Leary. <laughs> he um, must not have been expecting <laughs> to be recognized. No, it was great. It was great. He, then he was telling me about how he used to go there back in the, you know, in the 70s when... Yeah. When they'd go out there to play in the old, you know, Champions League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to win to play in it. Um, and, uh, you know, there'd be nothing. You know, you'd be, there'd be in some Pittsburgh and Russia and there's just nothing. Yeah. Finally getting ready for a game of football. You brought your own food in, everything. <laughs> oh, brought- everything. <laughs> Amazing. I cannot wait to see Catherine the Great under the Pet Cemetery. The last thing I'm going to ask you, Jason, is um, she even asked this a lot, but this is your second film playing Keira Knightley's husband? It is. Uh, is it like a Starbucks coupon type thing? Are you collecting stamps with each one? <laughs> What happens when you get to 10? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I've been very lucky and, you know, uh, Helen Mirren twice now. Oh, wow. Carrie <laughs> Mulligan, I think, three times, you know, <laughs> Jessica Chastain and Kira. And I love these women. Yeah. Like, I love them. I was just in an interview with an Australian, the Australian newspaper, and they said, you've worked with a lot of female directors, Jason. I never really thought about it, but I have. I mean... I love it, and not to bring it into a, a modern context or you know whatever, but I just love them. I love coming back to them, and 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 you know, and, and you deepen your you deepen your craft with people that you've worked with before. You deepen your enjoyment of it because I'm not having to worry about you know stepping on a toe or this or that. You, you're in there just trying to find it, mm. and you don't need to over discuss it. There's a real sense of of like you know you, you can leave your work on the table and it's done. We put it all out there. Mm. And we can go home and sleep well, you yeah. know, and come back yeah. and give the energy tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and um, I love Kira. I, you know, I'm, you know, it's been a while since we've seen each other, and lots happened for us personally in between that, and you know, in a in a in a, in a shifting world where we're like a circus and we don't see each other, and you know, you, lots of acquaintances, but not deep. It's it's just it's a real reaffirming thing of why I love this business, you know, amongst you know mm. growing cynicism and other mm. things and all that. And why I got into it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll see you in three years' time for the, the third instalment, whatever <laughs> that third, may be. The third instalment, yes. You must be itching to do a comedy. You should do <laughs> we'll a comedy. Do a, well, yeah, you know, the, the comedy we should do is we should do, somebody should do a remake of, remember the two Ronnies in the worm that turned? <laughs>
<laughs> Do you know what wow. I mean? Oh, look at her. She's had a hair oh done. My God. Oh, Ronnie, how you doing? Remember that? And the women were all in leather in the Tower of London. The worm that turned. I'll be honest, when I walked into this room, I didn't expect to hear references to David O'Leary <laughs> and the worm that turned from Jason Clark. That's amazing. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was Jason Clark, and time now to talk about movie news. Uh, what has been happening in the world of movies this week, boys? Ooh, well, Chris, there's been some. Oh no 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 no! Okay, nope. <laughs> no. I, I, no. No. I, I can't. I have to do it. Can we at least have? You want something else? I yes. Feel, I feel tired I tell you, suddenly. You, before I tell you that. Uh, <laughs> no. Atreides Swordmaster Duncan Idaho has been cast and it is Jason Momoa. This news broke last week just after we recorded last week's podcast so we oh it nearly fell through the cracks but thankfully even if it had done there was news that yes another June bit of casting has happened. Oh no 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 please don't look at your phone please say the name of this actor. Oh no it's the actor's name I'm going to struggle with it is of course the Harkonnen Mentat (laughs) Peter DeVries uh, Master of Assassins but I cannot... David uh, Dastmalkian. David Dastmalkian. The dude from Ant-Man. Kurt from Ant-Man. Yes, Kurt from Ant-Man. This is the work of gypsies. In, <laughs> yes, him. He will be part of the reason. This is the character played by Brad Dourif in the David Lynch version of Dune. So, uh, mm. you know, he's got big shoes to fill. Wow. That was that was rare. That was you talking about Dune in a manner that didn't immediately make me want to burn every copy of the novel. Of course, he may or may not oh, say no. the, it is by will alone I set my nope. mind in motion. It is by Nick, the juice of Safu, the thoughts acquire Nick, speed, the lips Nick, acquire stains. I feel just Nick, so tired. Are you like this on the Pillock TV podcast? <laughs> yeah, almost certainly. Oh, my God. I feel like there should be a separate splinter podcast that's just you talking about Dune on your own. And, and, and we don't record it. <laughs> That's important. We don't record it. We just tell him his mic's up yeah. and um, just let him just merrily chunter away. That was fairly tolerable, June News, by your right. standards. And uh, no, it's good. I, both good actors. Usually um, when James talks about that movie, I, I dune him out. But yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, it's good. And David Dasmakian is really good in The Dark Knight. He's super creepy in that. So if the role requires creepiness, he is your guy. Yeah. Um, it's been some <laughs> massive news. Chris okay. Hemsworth has teamed up with the Hulk in Thor Ragnarok, but that's not the news, because that happened ages ago. <laughs> Instead, he's playing Hulk Hogan in a Todd Phillips-directed yes. Netflix yes. biopic of Hulk Hogan. This yes. is insane. It that. is insane. Yeah, the Hulkinator. Were, you, were, you, were either of you Hulkamaniacs no. back, in the, uh, back in the day? No, although I remember going to see Suburban Commando in the cinema by mistake. <laughs> That's quite and, the story. Yeah, because uh, this was the Ivey Cinema in Banbridge back in the day whenever Suburban Commando came out. Yeah. I want to say 89, around that time. And you meant to see... Well, no, they advertised it as the Adams Family, so that would place it in 1990, I'm guessing. They literally advertised it as, we're showing the Adams Family. They only showed one film because it was only a single-screen cinema. And we sat down to watch the Adams Family, and clearly they, they just went... Christopher Lloyd films, Christopher Lloyd films. <laughs> Fuck it. Suburban Commando. And they stuck Suburban Commando on. And it was one of those things where you're 10 minutes into the film before you realise that this is not a trailer. And there's nothing you could do. The Hulk's got you at that, that point. And, uh, there's so no I watched, escape from the Hulk. There's no escape. Okay, yeah. here's, some, here's some trivia for you. Suburban, Suburban Commando features another WWF wrestler. Who is it? Oh, God. Um, British Bulldog. The Undertaker. The Undertaker. What? I would have guessed The Undertaker. Why? Give us a chance man. to guess. It's just... Yeah, I would have guessed that. Uh, talking of other wrestlers, did you see the Iron Shakes uh, tweet about this news? No, well, was, he, was he very upset? The Iron Shake, it's hard to tell. It's all in caps. <laughs> um, this is not going to be delivered in an Iron Shake voice, but imagine <laughs> a very don't. angry, shouty man. Chris Hemsworth, you jabroni. I swear to Jesus, I suplex you when I see you. 
Remember who make the Hulkamania and who is the real legend of the Earth. That is the <laughs> wow. That is the Iron Shakes take on this news. So I think that says it all. There's right? a suplex coming his way. The thing, I thing I remember a lot about Hulk. He used to bang on a lot about the size of his guns. You know, like mm. his biceps, and it was he used to call them his pythons. They were the 29 inch pythons. And related to that, I've also seen the Hulk Hogan sex tape, which does not feature <laughs> a 29 inch python. Let me tell you. I hear he's mighty powerful in the, in the ring. It's I seriously recommend that nobody listening to this ever look at the Hulk Hogan sex tape. Do you see it his is upsetting on every level? Do you see his jabroni? <laughs> no, but I remember he, he has he, he talks quite vocally about the fact that he's got indigestion <laughs> halfway through it, which is in many ways a bit of a mood killer. But uh, uh, you know. if anything, it's a, it's an aid to lovemaking. <laughs> it enhances the act. So, uh, so the the bit of reading I did about this uh, indicates that it's going to focus on his rise to fame, which would make sense. Although a lot of really juicy effed up stuff happened <laughs> post Suburban Commando, but I imagine this is all about the build up to Suburban Commando or Mister Nanny. Yeah, this should be called Planet Hulk. That's my final <laughs> my final say on the on the subject. I think they would get so sued, but so, yeah, that's a great idea. So that's weird. That's that's fantastic. That but Hemsworth is great casting. He is great casting. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He's probably the only person in Hollywood who would have to slim down to play Hulk no. Hogan. But I, I think it's. I cannot imagine I him doing good. the Hulk voice. Oh, Hulkster! <laughs> like, that's not the Hulk that's voice. That's what he sounds like. What? That's Paul Giamatti. Voice. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, Hulksters! That's okay. kind of a. Did you sound that, like yeah. one of the right. Sesame Street guys? I'm going to give yeah. up on that. But You sound like Ian Paisley, quite okay. frankly. All right. You sound like you're okay. having an aneurysm. Right. Should we move on? I'm going to crowbar my joke in from Twitter. Chris Hemsworth, Thor, A, playing Hulk Hogan. If you ask me, where's the handlebar? <laughs> moustache. Where's the handlebar moustache? You see? That's you good. see? Handlebar? Where is it? Where is it? Help me find it. I must find the handlebar. You're supposed to protect us. You're supposed to protect the WWF. Okay, anyone, anyone else? Any more movie news? There was a spectral uh, storm in a teacup last night um, when an interview with Jason Reitman about his new Ghostbusters... Uh, he was Jason Wrongman last night, wasn't he? ...film came out. Mm-hmm. And it was specifically the phrase that he said where he said, I'm, we're uh, in every way trying to go back to the original technique and hand the movie back to the fans, which uh, made a lot of people irked, <laughs> given that it seemed to dismiss the 2016 Paul Feig film. Yes. Uh, but since then, he has come out and clarified that he really likes that film. Yes, he's, clar- so, yeah, he's clarified he really likes that film. And Paul Feig came out and clarified that he really likes Jason Reitman. So everyone got really angry, but everyone seems to be cool again now. Yeah. That's a great news story. Yes. Uh, no, it is a good news story because it, it, it does raise a, a larger question, which is the danger of fan pandering, or fandering, if you will. Uh, and I don't think it's a good thing. And I'd rather that Jason Reitman and Gil Keenan, who's helping write the screenplay for the Ghostbusters movie, just made the Ghostbusters movie that, you know what, hey, they want to make. And they don't second-guess themselves, and they don't think about what the fans might like. Because here's another thing as well. By and large, the fans of Ghostbusters proved themselves to be douchebags with the, the treatment that they meted out to Fig and the cast of the 2016 Ghostbusters. They did. So don't pander to these people. It, it was a pretty focal minority. Hmm. Don't pander to those people. Just make the movie that you want to make. That's what they did when they made the first Ghostbusters. There were no fans yeah. to pander to. It was don't, demented. Don't crowdsource stuff. That's just, there's no good can come. Absolutely. I mean, the original was yeah. Dan Aykroyd's love of old Barry Boys, you know, spookbusters and films with crazy titles that no one really knew about. Yeah. He was doing it for himself. Yeah. And it just turned out amazingly. 
but he wasn't he didn't have anyone in mind when he was making it when I mean, they were writing that thing should you bear an audience in mind yes absolutely I don't think Jason Reitman is going to make a three and a half hour black and white Czechoslovakian subtitled movie he might do you never know but you know you have to it has to be commercial in, in some regard obviously but just make a movie man the thing about fan service is that it can lead to things like Blofeld Inspector and the reveal of Blofeld being something that means something to the fans, once again, air quoting, but not to James Bond. And that's just backwards. That's that's totally backwards. And I, I'm going to bang my MCU drum a little bit here because I don't think they do fan service in the MCU. I think they make the movies that they want to make. They tell the stories they want to they want to make. If you want to come along with them on that journey, great. Maybe now and again they'll hit a little touchstone that you know is cool, but they haven't really gone out of the way to, to tell those arcs or to do those stories that the mm. comics have. Skyfall was very nostalgic, and that worked out quite well. Uh, yeah. Spectre didn't. But yeah, it, it seems he talked about how they've gone back to the Elmer Bernstein score and used the stems for the music for the teaser, and they've tried to get the lettering exactly like it was in the 80s film. So they're obviously, that's the direction they're going in. They're going to try and do a retro-y thing uh, that's very much for the, for the people who love that specific movie. So we'll see how it comes out. Yeah, I was reading a thing about the Bond theme tune this week, about how Monty Norman came up with it. Have you, have you read this? Yeah. He was saying that he the studio flew him out to Jamaica to sort of soak in the ambience and come up with something and he you know, saw everyone. He saw like, you know, Honey Ryder coming out of the water. He hung out with Sean Connery and stuff. Came up with absolutely nothing and then went home and apparently reused something that he'd actually written for something else for the sitar and just re, re, uh, rejigged the composition for the guitar and went, yep, done. You That's could f- say he went full Monty. He did. The full <laughs> Monty. I'm glad you brought it up, James. Bond, James, uh, because Bond... 25 has been pushed back yet again. So it was going to be out this year in November. Then it got pushed back when Danny Boyle left the project. Then Kari Joji Fukunaka came on. It moved to February of next year. And now it has moved back to April. So what do you think of that? Well, good. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's, That's it's, the sort of movie discourse you've come to the Empire podcast for. It's, it's, yeah, I'm finding it a little bit tricky to muster up a lot of enthusiasm for this, even though I really like uh, Fukunaga. Love what he did with True Detective. Uh, Sin Nombra is a great film. Everything he's done so far has been good, but Spectre was so boring, and I'm a little bit over Daniel Craig, so I'm finding it hard to get excited. But as we find out more, hopefully that will change. Mm. Daniel Craig, by the time this movie comes out, will have been in the role for 14 years, which is slightly less than, than Roger Moore was, but he is going to be the same age, I believe, as Moore was when Moore made either Moonraker or Feud of a Kill. But he doesn't look. He looks. He looks like he's a spry. He's fifty. He'll be fifty-two years old. But he's uh, he's spry. But other news about Bond is that in the endless merry-go-round of screenwriters on this thing, so John Hodge wrote a draft for Danny Boyle. When Danny Boyle left, that draft was was jettisoned, and then in came our old pals, Purvis and Wade, um, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, long-term screenwriters of of James Bond. Nick and I, you know, passed out and had went at a fugue state through <laughs> through some of their movies in the Bondathon. Uh, they came on to write a draft, and now Scott said Burns, who's the writer of Contagion and I think The Informant and lots of movies for Steven Soderbergh, he's coming on to basically rewrite the script. Hmm. Movie discourse <laughs> on the... Is it like this on the Pilot TV podcast? <laughs> Do you say things, then people just go... I was too busy thinking about something that I, uh, I think we should definitely talk about. Which is? Which is a film that we've not had yet had a chance to discuss. But Denis Villeneuve's new film has got a release date. Dune is coming out on the 20th of November, I knew, I knew 2020. It was too good to be true. I knew so, I when think... you, the first one was too <laughs> enjoyable. 
and brief. Yeah, and I November. knew there was. Oh, yeah, that's the release date. Man. So uh, obviously we'll be taking the day off, and I am starting a change.org per petition for a national holiday. The uh, the June spoiler special. Oh, <laughs> I've already done it. I'm recording it bit by bit. You're, you're already spoiling it for people, <laughs> left, right, and center. Uh, okay, so that's that's very very exciting. A couple more things to discuss. One, the axe that we long thought was poised to fall on the Punisher and Jessica Jones has indeed fallen over at Netflix. Netflix have finally cancelled the remaining two shows of their Marvel TV universe. The Punisher will be no more after season two, which has just aired. And Jessica Jones season three is coming up in a few months. And that will be that. The canceller has struck. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, this is sad. Do you know who's furious about this? Nick. Eminem. Eminem's Have furious. you seen this? Eminem no. uh, just tweeted about an hour ago. Dear Netflix, copying them in, regarding your cancellation of The Punisher, you are blowing it. This is all in caps. Sincerely, Marshall. Dear Netflix, this will be the last tweet I ever send your ass. I'm fascinated by Eminem's and his taste and his viewing needs, habits. He doesn't need The Punisher anymore because he's, he's still got Venom, oh. Venom, Venom, Venom. <laughs> I read an article once that said um, Eminem once was in a bit of a funk for a year for some reason and uh, watched the Mark Wahlberg film Shooter over 30 times. We've all done it. Totally understandable. So Solid and the TV flick. series spin-off starring seen it. Ryan Fallope. Is it good? I have watched. I watched most of it and then lost the will to live. John Lee Swagger. Uh, yeah, Ro- I think you find it's Bob Lee Swagger. Yeah, it's <laughs> Same Bob. thing. Come on, shoot up. Um, shoot so shoot a solid flick. Antoine Fuqua. Good stuff. That's Check the end. Of, that's the end of the MTU. Yeah, that's it. That's this is, it. This, I mean, this, we've seen this coming a mile off. I mean, they were always going to do this. They've been yeah. winding this up for a while now. There was no way either of these shows were going to get another season. It is a shame. While. Uh, Admittedly, some of these seasons were crushingly tedious. I refer, of course, to Iron Fist and to a certain extent The Defenders. Some of these were really good. Mm. First season of Daredevil, amazing. Most recent series of Daredevil, mm. really, really good. Jessica Jones, first season, amazing. Admittedly, the second one, very boring. <laughs> uh, the Punisher, I think, is the saddest one, isn't it? Because I really like The Punisher. That, that one only really just got started, and he was perfect. It's John Burnfall. spectacularly violent in a way that I've almost never seen in a TV show before. <laughs> I think it's a real shame. I think the casting, by and large, I know people have their problem with Finn Jones mm-hmm. as Iron Fist. And in fairness, I didn't watch either series of Iron Fist. So I, I saw him in The Defenders. I thought he was okay. But I know people had their problems with that with that, mm-hmm. with that actor in that role. But I thought the casting of these these roles was pretty spot on. Charlie Cox was fantastic as Matt Murdock. Kristen Ritter was great as Jessica Jones. Uh, Mike Coulter is Luke Cage. Yeah, is. I mean, walk around him. He's <laughs> amazing. And uh, yeah, Johnny Bernthal. I can call him Johnny because I've met him twice and yeah. we share a birthday. And uh, and that's his Twitter handle. He is Frank Castle, mm-hmm. you know. And it, you, he's going up against some pretty stiff competition here with Dolph Lundgren, Tom Jane. I, I can call him Tom because I met him once. Ray Stevenson. And, uh, and of course, Ray Ray Stevenson. I can call him Ray Ray because I met him once. You can. And, uh, yeah, I just thought these are and these are really great. And the, the scuttlebutt is that we may see them again at some point, but apparently they can't be deployed in any Marvel... Disney Plus, Hulu, whatever yeah. it is, for two years yeah. after their last appearance on Netflix. So we may yet get to see the Dream Team once again. Sorry, Dreme uh, team once <laughs> the again. Dreme Teme. The Dreme Teme. Yeah. yeah. Are you surprised by this in a way? Obviously, we knew that uh, Netflix was cleaning house in a way. And Netflix never released viewing figures, but there was lots of speculation this week about the fact that Netflix had to pay Marvel and Disney a premium to use these characters, that maybe viewing figures were declining a little bit. The people who do... Uh, monitor things like social media buzz and whatnot that it was dropping with each successive season so maybe this isn't a surprise and also quite frankly with the way that the other studios Disney and Warner Brothers and Sony and and all the the big studios 
are eventually going to be all having their own streaming services, all with their own content, all using their own libraries. It makes sense that Netflix ultimately will want to have all their own original content. Why should they be paying someone else for their IP when they can generate their own IP? Yeah, no, I agree with you entirely. And I think, you know, they, they were expensive shows to produce. And I think Netflix have moved beyond the point where they needed them. I think when they first started doing Daredevil, you know, they, they needed that boost. They needed that prestige. I don't think that they do incredible original programming now. So I think they have evolved beyond mm. the need for this. But, you know, hopefully we'll see these characters again. And hopefully mm. with, you know, fingers crossed, it would be amazing to see some of the same people playing them. Because, as you yeah. say, the casting was extraordinary. Uh, it, it calls my I One of my weirdest, most surreal set fitted experiences at Empire was... The day I flew to New York, I landed in New York at 3 p.m. I got to Brooklyn about 4, 4.30 p.m. I checked into my hotel. I had half an hour's nap in the hotel. I was picked up. I was driven to the set of The Punisher Season 1. I was on set of The Punisher Season 1 for about six hours. Spoke to my good friend, Johnny Bernthal, birthday buddy, and uh, had a bit of a blast. And then went from there to the set of The Defenders. <laughs> And was on set at the Defenders until six in the morning. <laughs> and by the end of it, if you think I was incoherent in the interview with Jason Clark, I interviewed Finn Jones, having not really seen anything that he'd been in or, you know, had, having no real awareness <laughs> of, of my surroundings or indeed anything. And it's the most incoherent I've ever been. I think at one point I fell asleep mid-question. It's, <laughs> it's, but that, that was, that was I, an incredible experience. I fell asleep on the set of 2012. Really? True story. Yep, yep. I was in Vancouver. Again, hadn't slept. And I remember being woken up to go and talk to John Cusack. That was, I mean, we were neither of us at our best at that particular point. It was not the best interview I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. sleep-deprived interviewing not is fun. Good. I remember I, I did a night shoot for Baby Driver, and I was so wiped out by the end. I asked Edgar Wright the worst question I've ever asked anyone. I said, if this film was a car, what speed would it go? And I, I remember he just looked at me and said, no. No! <laughs> and then, and then I, I asked another question. Oh, it was great. No. He was very tired as well. So it was it was a low point, but um, we, That's it, we an bounced back. Question. We bounced back. It's not. That's the second best question you've ever asked. <laughs> the, you know, the, first, the, the best question you've ever asked was you asked Gary Oldman in a panic because you'd run out of things to ask him. You, you, you just went, Have you ever played a mayor? Oh, I wish I could say that. It was the first question. <laughs> was it? It was the first Have question. You ever played yeah. a mayor? I'll tell you why, because his manager. Doug Abansky <laughs> plays a mayor. Doug Abansky. In what does he play a mayor in? He's also know. he also pops up in Gary Oldman films. He does in small yeah. roles. Yeah. And he played a mayor in, in something. And I was talking to Doug Abansky in the corridor just before I went in. And I was faced with Gary Oldman and I did panic. Not and I had mayors on the mind. And I said, Have you ever played a mayor? And he actually gave it some real thought. And then he went, No, I don't think I have. No. <laughs> it was it was it was a real low point. Have you ever played an ombudsman? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I've got oh a list here. Here's a, here's a list of, uh, have you of ever public service a, jobs. Uh, have you done have any? Have you of ever these? played a caterer? But that, that uh, honestly, genuinely, that question's amazing. Is it? That, that's an amazing question, okay. and that could that could apply. I've been too embarrassed to share the story until now. So that's it. We're all, all right. sharing okay. here. It's all fine. Right. Well, we need to get an answer from him then. Uh, that could apply to any film. Yeah, any film at all. Yeah. If this film were a car, what speed would it go? <laughs> So, um, a quick bit more uh, superhero TV news. We have a bit more information on the Loki series, which is, of course, coming to uh, Disney's Plus streaming service. Uh huh. So, it now has a showrunner. Michael Walden, uh, veteran of Rick and Morty, is going to be uh, writing the pilot and executive producing the show. And we now know that the show is going to involve Loki as he pops up throughout human history as unlikely influencer on historical events. So it's Loki does Quantum Leap. Yeah. 
It's Loki Gump. Quantum Loki. Um, I, Quantum what? Realm Loki. This the Quantum Realm Leap. I don't know what this is. <laughs> I, it's just it sound that's not what I expected. So it's and given uh, the Rick and Morty background of this guy, it sounds like it's going to be a comedy, like an all-out comedy. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't really know. I I think everything that's coming out about the MCU post Avengers Endgame at the moment should be taken with a pinch of salt. But it sounds like an interesting premise, I guess. I mean, presumably, uh, unlike uh, Quantum Leap, he's not going to be trying to save the day. Do you think at the end of every around. episode he'll go, oh, Thor? <laughs> uh, so that's pretty cool. Interesting. Um, there was some sad news uh, earlier in the week that the, the great Swiss actor Bruno Gantz, perhaps most famous, of course, for Wings of Desire and for Downfall, the film that generated, well, one meme, but basically a thousand memes because it was the same thing, the Hitler ranting scene, passed away at the age of 77. And uh, he was a great actor. He was a Vim Vendors regular. He was in The American Friend. He was, of course, in Wings of Desire. He was in Far Away So Close. He worked in, with Werner Herzog and Nosferatu the Vampire as well. He popped up in the likes of The Manchurian Candidate, The Reader, and most recently, of course, Lars von Trier's The House of Jack Build. His final role will be in a Terence Malick film, Radagund, which hasn't yet got a release date. But uh, uh, he was an incredible presence and hugely respected and highly revered. And we're very, very sad indeed to hear of his passing. Bruno Gantz at the age of 77. Okay, so time now to take a look ahead at the Oscars. I will not be staying up to watch the Oscars. Having said that, I say that a lot and then I end up watching them anyway. Uh, what do we think is going to happen at the Oscars? Are we excited about the Oscars? Are we excited about the lack of a host? Do we think it's going to be basically three hours of nonsense? I mean, it's always sort of three to five hours of nonsense, isn't it? But uh, Tight three hours this, a, a, this year. Yeah, a tight three. I, I don't know. It feels like they've done a fun sponge on this one, haven't they? Like they've taken all of the amusement out. They, they rolled back the categories in the in the ad breaks, didn't they? Mm. So that's no longer happening. Yes, they did. So, we, yes. Massive public outcry. So they walk, they walked back the no categories in the ad breaks. Yes. They've walked back the no live music. So they will now be gigging. They walked back the best popular film stuff. Yes, in they fact, did. There's going to be so much live music. It's a concert. Yeah, yes. Queen Queen are going to open the the <laughs> show. Queen and Adam Lambert are going to open the show, but they're not doing any of the nominated films for best song. So you yeah, see there, was really... a, there was a weird thing about Bradley Cooper, wasn't yeah. there? They, they announced that he's going to be uh, performing a song from A Star Is Born as himself, not as his character. What is the difference? I don't know. I'd love to see him piss that's... himself on the stage. <laughs> that's the difference. <laughs> he will not be pissing his pants. Do not. <laughs> is the Oscars. I, will take I a just look want to take a look at this Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> Serena Williams is going to be on stage with or without a tennis racket. They're they're getting uh, people not from the world of film to present a short sort of thing about each of the Best Picture nominees. So Serena Williams is going to be talking about A Star Is Born and there are going to be other people popping in. Who who they are, I don't know. So that sounds unusual, but it's the lack of host. I I always kind of enjoyed it for the host. It was the big opening monologue and all the gags and stuff. If that's not there, I don't know. How are they going to open it? I don't know either. And I won't be finding out. So, <laughs> James, let us know. Uh, yeah, say, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll tweet you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, but just condense them into a single Word document and just send it to me in the morning. All right, so let's go through category by category. Not not all the categories, obviously. And let's get your predictions, okay? Mm. So best adapted screenplay, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, A Star Is Born, and If Beale Street Could Talk. What is your tip? What do you think is going to take best adapted screenplay? If Bill Street could talk. All right. Jimbo? Yep, it's Billy Good. 
Oh no, he's used that before. I have used that before, but I like it. Oh. More to the point, we were listening to the score in the office today, and that the score is magnificent. All right, I'm going to be massively wrong about this. I'm going to say that uh, Star is Born is going to win that one. Best original screenplay, First Reformed, Paul Schrader's first Oscar nomination, which is incredible because the dude wrote Taxi Driver, so <laughs> what the fuck. Uh, also, Green Book, Adam McKay for Feiss, The Favourite, Tony McNamara and Deborah Davis, and then Alfonso Cuaron, who could break a record, I think, for the most individual Oscars in a single night. He has been nominated for Best Original Screenplay, of course, for Roma. What do you think is going to win? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm leaning towards the favourite. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm going in on the favourite as well. Okay, I will contradict you. I think Quarong will win that one. Um, let me see. Let's move on to Best Animated Feature. Ralph Breaks the Internet. Mirai. Nope. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yes. Yes. Incredibles 2. Nope. Isle of Dogs. Absolutely Into the Spider-Verse. If Into the Spider-Verse doesn't win, then frankly, everyone should storm the stage and burn the building to the ground. <laughs> that seems fair. It's... <laughs> It's the only logical reaction. It's the only measured response, I think, (laughs) to such an injustice. Uh, Best Director, Spike Lee for Black Klansman. Incredibly, again, his first Oscar nomination. Adam McKay for Vice. Pavel Pavlikovsky for Cold War. Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. And Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favourite. Cuaron. Lanthimos. 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 Really? Give it to him. Wow, Give you go, Yorgos. Yorgos. Uh, I think it will be Quaron as well. Quaron okay. will win that one. Best Supporting Actress, Emma Stone for The Favourite, Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, Rachel Feiss for The Favourite, Marina Di Tavira for Roma, mm. and Amy Adams for Feiss. This is That's probably difficult. the weakest category, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to say Regina King. Very interesting. Mm. Just because I think The Favourite is hard to... Mm. Mm. Maybe, Emma Stone. Maybe Emma Stone. Oh, well, Rachel Weisz beat out Emma Stone at the BAFTAs, didn't she? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that will... Regina King. You think? Yeah, I'd probably lean more towards Regina King than I would the others. Some interesting stats is that uh, Regina King did not get a SAG nomination, and that usually is a harbinger of doom okay. for Oscar chances. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she takes it, but uh, I also wouldn't be surprised if Rachel Feist wins. Really? So keep an eye on that one. Best Supporting Actor, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Mahershala Ali for Green Book, Sam Rockwell. I mean, he should just be happy to be in the room, quite frankly, for Vice. <laughs> Sam Elliott, A Star Is Born. I mean, how, I love Sam Rockwell. Ali. I love Sam Rockwell, but how was he nominated I for that do performance? not know. He's on the screen for all of eight minutes. <sighs> Richard uh, E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? I told Richard E. Grant to his face a few weeks ago that I thought he was going to win, so I'm going to stick to that, and yes. I really hope he wins. He doesn't think he will. He thinks Mahashar Ali will win. I think he's I, right. I agree with him. Um, but I told him, no, you're wrong. You're going to win. <laughs> you're wrong. Wow. It's like whenever we had Tom Bennett on the podcast for Love and Friendship, and I told him very confidently he was going to get an Oscar nomination, and he didn't, and he's never let me forget it. Anyway, so there we go. I think that uh, Mahashar Ali will win that one. But not fairly Second- to Battle Angel. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Second Oscar in three years for Mahershala Ali. Uh, best Actress, Lady Gaga, Melissa McCarthy, Olivia Coleman for The Favourite, mm. Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, and Glenn Close, always nominated, see, never won, it's just yeah. a year. It yeah. feels like, I see, I want to say Olivia Coleman, except she's clearly the supporting actress in that film. But uh, that doesn't matter. No, it doesn't it's, matter it's at all, but it, that, it, the, the, the lack of accuracy there bugs the hell out of me. Mm. But Glenn Close, you know, I feel a little bit like she's owed one. And she's amazing in the film as well. Yeah. I, I th- and the film she's in is all about a woman who deserves to win awards but has to watch while other people win them. <laughs> I think my, my heart says Olivia Coleman, but my head says Glenn Close. I'm going Glenn Close. Okay. What do your kidneys say? My kidneys say they're just in pain constantly. 
<laughs> All right. I think I'm going to wake up to find Glenn Close mm. with an Oscar. Too not cl- in not in my room, but in 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 the Oscars. Too close to call. Oh, that's very good. Uh, but you know, Coleman's mustard. So she may win for the ah. favorite. And I would not be unhappy if Leva Coleman because she should have won for Tyrannosaur and she wasn't even nominated. So anyway, so farce isn't as stupid. You can't you can't make a competition out of art. Anyway, best actor Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, Willem Dafoe for Eternity's Gate, Figo Mortensen for Green Book, and Christian Bale for Feist. And I can't think of anyone mm. else in that category. <laughs> you you forgot about Rami Malek for uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yes, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. <sighs> I I'm going to say again what I said last time. Um, the film is is rubs, but he is good in it, and I don't. He's think you good. Should... No, no, he's but very is he good. Oscar winning good. Uh, he's going to win. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he will win. Mark my words. He is going to win that. That is as foregone a conclusion at the Oscars as you could possibly get. If he doesn't say it's a kind of magic, he's failed. It'll be a case of Mercury rising from his seat, as his name is called. <laughs> oh yeah, he's great in the Bruce Willis movie. Oh my god! All right, it's the big one. Best sound mixing. So Black Panther. <laughs> A Star is Born, First Man, Roma, or Bohemian Rhapsody. First now, Man. You think First Man's yeah, going to take that one? Yeah. Uh, no, the, the one they all want is Best Picture. And there are eight nominees. Mm. Ludicrously, none of them are Teen Titans Go to the Movies or Avengers Infinity War. What an absolute farce this thing is. I shut agree. it down. Shut it down now. But we have to go ahead with it. And the eight are Bohemian Rhapsody, which I would posit. <laughs> Should it win? would be the worst film to ever win Best Picture. Wow. The favourite. Black Panther, Black Klansman, Green Book, Feiss, A Star is Born, Roma. I think, having evaluated all of the options <laughs> and applied a variety of scientific formulae, the only possible answer is Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> In a yeah. shock move. In a shock move. <laughs> Kevin storming Feige. from the back <laughs> Kevin Feige just storms the stage it'd be like the, the moonlight um, La La Land thing in reverse yeah except, <laughs> except the for film the that, film that wasn't nominated yeah. Thanos um, will remove half of Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> the world will be can I remind you yeah. of some actual dialogue from Bohemian Rhapsody yes Freddy you're burning the candle at both ends to which he replies but the glow is so bright oh. <laughs> good give, it, give it the goddamn Oscar right now um, it's gonna win isn't it and it's just I'm not staying up. You think Bohemian Rhapsody is going to win Best Picture? It could do. Easily. No. It could do. No. Roma will probably No. Win. Roma will win, I think. It, it, it seems that in the absence of the Farsi Superior in Avengers Infinity War, Roma will probably win, yes. I think Roma will win, but I will say this. I've been reading some stuff from Oscar prognosticators, and don't be surprised if Green Book wins. Because hey. of the preferential voting system that the Oscars use. Ooh. So, you know, you literally list your preferences in order one to eight. So some people might go, Green Book might be very consistent number two or number three choice for a lot of voters. And therefore, that might just carry it over the line. Apparently, some Oscar voters don't like Roma. They don't like the fact that it's a Netflix film. They're a bit harumphy about that. Yeah. And of course, it's a bit foreign, isn't it? Christopher so, Nolan might vote yeah. for it. But I think he will, because it's... Was it shot in film? Well, if it wasn't it, shot in it's film, on Netflix, it's right you won't out. have any of that. It's right out. Um, no, yeah, he's just got dial-up. So <laughs> I think you know what? I'd be happy. I really enjoyed Green Book. Like, really, really enjoyed it. So mm. you know, I'm on board. Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know if it's the best film of the year. In fact, I know that it wasn't. No, we've already established that was Avengers: Infinity War. Um, well, quite. Um, but I, I didn't think it deserved the mega backlash it's had. Mm. But yeah, I, 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 I think give it to Roma. 
Well, we'll find out on Sunday night and we'll talk about it in next week's show. Uh, also, the last thing we should talk about in, in this bumper news section is the new issue of Empire, which is out right now. It's very, very exciting. It's exciting <laughs> for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, I wrote barely anything in this month's issue, uh, so you know it's good. Uh, secondly, on the cover, and Jimbo, you can talk about this as the host of the Pilot TV podcast, uh, a little bit of history. Now, Empire has historically covered TV right from the off. If you go back and you look at the first few issues of Empire, we had Danny Baker write a TV column right from the off. It was right there. But we've always been a magazine that puts films on the cover. You know, what we've been a film magazine. Except for this month. Mm -hmm. Because we have put on the cover Gamay of Thrones. Yes. uh, Which is the creme de la creme of TV. (laughs) Game of Thrones season 8 is is coming up and it's a celebration of the show. Yes. This is not a massive sort of like uh, change of direction for us as a magazine. We have Uh, got a Cory split run. Yeah, yeah. We don't don't have stenders on on the issue after. Stenders. Yeah, that's right. Uh, No, no. This is a big Game of Thrones cover too and a a huge celebration of the show which has been a televisual event regardless of whether you're really into TV or not. It's been incredible. And this along with uh, Avengers Endgame and of course, episode nine is kind yeah. of one of the landmark events of this year. Yeah, and so we are celebrating that in massive detail, aren't we, Nick? Huge detail. Uh, yeah, we spoke Huge. to cast, we spoke to crew, we spoke to directors. Of you episodes. spoke to me. We spoke to you. <laughs> we spoke to the blokes who designed the dragons. We spoke yep. to the opening credit designers, and most exciting of all, mm-hmm. and I can't believe we pulled this off. Oh we spoke God. to the drummer from Coldplay. What's his name, Nick? Will Champion. There you go. But I call him the drummer from Coldplay <laughs> and, in the emails requesting him. But he agreed to do a world exclusive chat, probably because no one had asked him. But he was a lovely bloke and he talked about his cameo in the Red Wedding episode. He is a massive Game of Thrones geek and he's really fun. But there's all kinds of stuff. It's 21 pages. Uh, if you're into the show, you'll love what it. What if you've seen three episodes, Nick? Then you should watch the rest and yes. then come back and enjoy such puns as The Shite King, which <laughs> managed to get through. I'm, I'm going to give you some more puns that are in this magazine just to try and. You know, I'm not going to give you any context. <laughs> just puns, okay? So this will yep. persuade you whether you want to spend your hard earned, and you should. All men must pie. Yeah, there was actually a bit of debate about that in the office because Ben Travis um, was arguing uh, heavily for it to be called Frey Bentos. I, I agree with him. I'd, I'd never heard of that. Is this some kind of northern pie? It is, no, of it's, course. it's a very famous maker of meat products. Never heard of it. It is, of course, the scene involving Walder Frey and uh, an icky pie. Here's another good pun. And I know this one's good because I actually contributed this one. Fall bran. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you like fiber-heavy cereal and Game of Thrones, that is in your, that's going to hit you in your sweet spot. And a dish best served cold play. <laughs> Guess what that's about. Uh, so there's lots of great stuff inside the issue beyond Game of Thrones. We have an interview with David Harbour, the man who is the new Hellboy. Uh, we were on set of Shazam. Ben Travis went on set. Even though he's barely young enough to brush his own teeth, uh, he went on set of Shazam and uh, had a great old time. Rafe finds Ralph mm. Fiennes is the uh, the Empire interview this month. Yep. We have first looks at the likes of Aladdin, Jonah Hill's directorial debut, mid-90s, Andrew Garfield, is this month's How Much It's a Pint of Milk in my section, the review section. Uh, so I did contribute a little bit this issue. Uh, we have Drew Goddard talking about bad times at the El Royale. I spoke to Woody Harrelson about his live film Lost in London, which was an incredible undertaking. And um, we look back at Schindler's List 25 years after it came out and we chat to Big Lim, mm-hmm. the 48th greatest living Northern Irish person. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was before he, you know, said all that stuff. 
But it's a really, really interesting interview with uh, Liam Neeson looking back at Schindler's List. Uh, some fascinating stuff in there. In fact, including tidbits about why he didn't do Lincoln with Steven Spielberg. Well, but that's not all. Because... Oh, God. Because, Chris, and no, this issue does not come with a special Dune supplement, much to my dismay. It instead comes with the third ever issue of Pilot TV magazine, uh, which is bundled with this issue, and has loads and loads of amazing TV goodness, as if Game of Thrones doesn't give you enough of that already. We've got loads of upcoming stuff, American God Season 2, we talk about this time with Alan Partridge, uh, David Fincher's new show, Love, Death and Robots is in there. We talk about the new series of Derry Girls. We've got the creator on the phone. In features, Killing Eve turns up. We spoke to Jeb Mercurio for the new season of Line of Duty. Fleabag is in there. We spoke to Richard Gere. There's a wonderful kind of retrospective look at The Sopranos, talking about Tony in particular and speaking to some of the actors from that show. We have some love for 24 and Sherlock and an excellent piece on The Leftovers. Sounds brilliant, James. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Can't wait to read it. Uh, it is called Pilot, Pilot, Pilot TV. It's available. It is a supplement with Empire. You can get it completely and utterly free. Buy the new issue of Empire, people. Pay my wages, you absolute mothers. Hmm. Okay, time now for our second guest. And she is one of the fastest rising actors around. She was mesmerizing in Lady Macbeth. And now she anchors next week's comedy drama, Fighting With My Family, as Paige, a real-life WWE star, not F-E. She is, of course, the wonderful Florence Pugh. And John Nugent recently went along to have a good old chat with her. Enjoy. So, Florence Pugh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Hello, How are hello, you? hello. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, we are talking about fighting with my family, mm-hmm. uh, and you pay Paige, I do. a real-life wrestler. Uh, yeah. First of all, what's your relationship with wrestling like growing up? Did you watch it? Uh, nearly zero. Okay. I, um, As a kid, I watched it. I remember my brother always practicing some moves on me and me not being <laughs> deadly pleased and so fighting back. But no, I think the exciting thing for me was that I knew I knew nothing about that world. I'd seen it. I've, I've met fans of it, but I hadn't watched it. Um, and so really when I came to this job, it was such a, a mega reveal of how much I didn't know and, and how exciting I suppose that was. Yeah. And so I guess to play a professional wrestler, you must need a lot of training. A lot of training, yeah. How was that? Intense. <laughs> I don't think I wasn't sore for about four months. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think that was part of the excitement for the job and I don't want to speak for Jack too but we were both very normal bodied people Um, (laughs) and uh, we suddenly had to become I think that's the best thing about wrestling it's not like we had to have you know washboard abs Mm. Um, we had to just be able to throw people and if you boil it down to that it it makes even more exciting because it's not like you're in the gym working on aesthetic you were in the gym seeing how strong you can get which is something that's quite appealing um so that was definitely a a massive i mean it was terrifying but totally exciting to be able to dive into were there any any hairy moments or any moments where you left home with a bit of bruises yeah and i think it's safe to say i mean i'm sure someone will be annoyed that i said this (laughs) but um it's fighting and whatever view you have on if it's real or not real you're still in the ring hurting yourself and you're still in the ring doing all these moves and um yeah it is real you come away with bumps and bruises and you come away aching and you have to be aware of that you can't just pretend as if it's not there you are an athlete when you are in that ring Mm. and i take my hat off to anyone that goes in there because it's tough yeah, because I mean, the the real page, of course, had to uh, yeah, quit because retired. of injury, which just shows to you how serious how serious it can be. And yeah. she's so young, but has accomplished so much already. Yeah. So um, 
yeah, it was an honour to play her. So did you get a chance to get to know her a little bit? Ahead of I filming? did. I got to know her. Uh, I, sadly, I didn't get to meet her before we started shooting because by that point she was a, a superstar by then and mm. was travelling the world and meeting people and... Um, it just didn't happen but thankfully we are of similar personalities and got along straight away so we've yeah. been messaging quite frequently in the last couple of years yeah. um, and she's hugely supportive of everything I've done since after fighting with my family as well which is so cool yeah. Um, so yeah hopefully I think we'll be hooking up at some point soon nice and then the, the family at large as well because yeah. they're such a like colorful group yeah. of people yeah I think it would have been so I mean, we we hung out with the family a lot. Um, I met and and hung out with Zach quite a lot, her brother, and they still live in Norwich. So that was really wonderful to be able to be with them and hang out with them. And they are such gorgeous, loud, brilliant people. (laughs) Um, And you have to really keep up and make sure that you are in there as well. Um, But yeah, beautiful people and all have such big hearts and they are so generous with their time that they gave us so that yeah. was really wonderful to hang out with them my right thing you trained at their at their actual ring like, we in, did in actually we did some training and they they lent us their ring at some points and so we'd have basically the entire family were there that the family that we were making this film about would come in and set up a ring and yeah. it, it was just totally bizarre you never get the people that you're playing coming in and helping you um and that was such a wonderful moment so yeah no we 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 worked with them and, and and lots of their family were actually in the film as well as wrestlers, yeah. um, which is cool. Yeah. And, you know, I don't come from a wrestling family, no. obviously. <laughs> but you're um, a wrestler? No. <laughs> Not even, I mean, look at me. Uh, but, um, hey, hey now, come on. But but still, like, this family, I thought, you know, there's something I recognise in my yeah. own family in this. Yeah. Is that sort of part of the appeal, the sort of family dynamic? I mean, even when you watch the documentary, it doesn't, it doesn't take very long before you fall in love with them mm. as a family and individually. They are, I think, the best way to sum up what a family should should be and entail and, 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 and how supportive they should be. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's watching the documentary makes everyone realise how special they are. Um, and I, there are certain points when you watch the documentary where you realise that's actually what your family do for you and how amazing yeah. that is and... Um, and and if not, then something that you should definitely, you know, hold on to and, and put into your own families because I think they've got it down to a fine art, clearly. Yeah. Do you have any, like, favourite wrestling moves now? Are you a bit of a wrestling so, nerd? So, um, Jack and I would go a bit rogue because most of our fighting scenes would be together and, yeah. and most of our banter would consist of us just basically getting to fights with one another. Um, so, most of our moves were either me squeezing him really hard with my legs, like, we'd be <laughs> filming and then suddenly I'd, like, roll him over and squeeze super hard and do, like, a half Nelson or something. Yeah. Or um, or just slapping each other in the stomach. That, that seemed to get the, the point across. Sure. <laughs> just a nice friendly slap in yeah, the stomach of course, yeah of course i mean do you get to know someone quite quickly when you're like rolling around in the in ring lycra yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 squeezing parts of your body that you never thought would be squeezed before <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, a pretty quick friendship from yeah. then on but no i'd heard of jack before and we had such an amazing um audition experience together I think Mm. uh, well I certainly fell for him a bit uh, in that audition experience and then obviously we get filming and we have the same sense of humour and we essentially become big brother and little sister and that was so so cool to have that relationship with someone when you're playing those exact characters it's really wonderful to not have to try yeah and that's exactly what happened and then you got in 
the actual ring in the Staples Center. I know, I know, um, which is mental. Was that like Monday Night Raw or something? That was actually in the first week of shooting. Wow. We went over to LA to go and do a couple of the auditorium scenes and um, that was on, I think, the fourth day of shooting was Monday Night Raw. And we went out, at the end of Monday Night Raw, Dwayne went out to the crowd just as everyone was leaving and the roar was so I mean it was mesmerizing it it didn't stop for about six minutes and you'd touch the wall and it would be like vibrating and he (laughs) I love it he just basically asked if people wanted to go they could go but you know we're shooting a film so if you want to stay you can stay everyone stayed everyone stayed and we reenacted you know one of the most famous fights with a few extra little spins and twirls in it, but um, mega, mega for the fourth day of shooting to do that. And I'm not a wrestler and I appreciate everyone's support and love uh, during that day because it was a lot to prove. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you must have been 20,000 people, right? I mean, obviously a couple of people would have left, but there was a, a substantial amount of people in one room that were all looking at me waiting to see if I could be Paige. Um, so yeah, no, uh, it was thrilling, so thrilling. And I was alive and I was on such a buzz afterwards, which is the whole point. That's why it's so, uh, wonderful to wrestle is you have that amazing kind of eight minutes of being a superhuman. Yeah. And I notice, uh, you are now in first name terms with Dwayne. Oh yes. I don't mean to, well, I can't call him The Rock, can I? Like, if I see him, I'm going to call him Dwayne. Dwayne. Just Dwayne. It's so... Come on, though. Like, if I if I called him The Rock, that's... No, you can't call no, him The I Rock. No, I can't call or him the. the Rock. I can't call him The. I have to call him... And I don't want to call him Dwayne Johnson. No. I, you know, you have to just call him Dwayne. Sure. So would you consider yourself a friend? Yeah, he's now? a good mate of yeah. mine. And he's been so... Um, him and Paige have been so supportive of me since even mm. after the film has come out and they've been cheering my name on lots of other projects that I've been a part of as well, which has been so wonderful because mm. they are um, they are true friends and I, I've appreciated their, their love. Yeah. Has he let you in his gym yet? No, because I think he would probably laugh at me. <laughs> uh, if we were to ever work out together, it would be hilarious because a i'm the size of his calf yes uh, in terms of like length <laughs> not width um and uh and b i i think i'd just be mesmerized by watching him and how much he lives <laughs> yeah yeah it's scary it is scary yeah. yeah i mean i wouldn't be able to keep up at all i you know what i'd do i'd just yell at him i'd be the annoying thing that would just say come on keep going you're worthless all of that stuff <laughs> that inspiring stuff but he's but i i've met him i had you the, have and he gave me a bottle of tequila D- oh um, what yeah that's so wonderful he, of him empire magazine i guess oh I don't wow know. um but he he strikes me as the nicest he person is. he's even. absolutely gorgeous and you know what it is it's like when i was gonna go work with him i had heard so many wonderful reviews like you know mm. he i mean he's everywhere and when i was working i was like nah i'm gonna find out the chink like <laughs> there's gonna be something shifty about him he's gonna actually have like really long hair and he wears a yeah. bald cap yeah. or you know i just wanted to find somewhere where he wasn't very nice i know <laughs> could you imagine what, you think he's got secret hair <laughs> i don't know I, w- I was like something has to be wrong with him he can't be this lovely <laughs> and then you meet him and you're just like putty in his hands you're like okay you're this lovely all right and he eats all the time 
He's constantly right. eating. He's got it. He, well, he's got like a, a bodybuilder's diet. Right? Yeah. Well, you'll be in the middle of a conversation with him, and he'll just like spin around and do some sort of pirouette and put food in the microwave <laughs> and then come back, and you're like, "Whoa, <laughs> that was far too rehearsed." <laughs> <laughs> so, if you were to go in the ring, yeah, what would your wrestling name be? I do. I'm gonna have to come up with a fun name, aren't mm. I? I okay. I have the 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 best but the worst surname ever, and it. It is so shocking to start making amalgamations of different words with it. Mm. I think it would have to be, I've said this before, but like either my move would be the puster or okay. my name would be the puster yep. and just use it to my advantage. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody would have to get to grips that that is the weirdest name, but it's coming out. It works. The yep. puster. The puster. Could you imagine if I did the puster on someone? Yeah. they'd be like oh my god wait, wait what she's yeah. gonna do what to me she got pustered yeah oh my god it sounds like i've like shat on someone <laughs> <laughs> no i won't shit on anyone i swear that's your wrestling move <laughs> shit in the ring oh my god how amazing but awful would that be i mean it would be a signature so sorry move. Paige. i'm so sorry <laughs> i love you dearly i'm not not laughing at your profession. I'm laughing at my name. Well, it would be a first. It'd be a first. It for would WWE. be a first for WWE. I mean, maybe it wouldn't. I mean, for WWE, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I'm sure there's shitting wrestling somewhere in the world. <laughs> we'll have to Google it and I'll put my name down next to it. The Pewster. The Pewster. <laughs> Brought to you by The Pew. <laughs> it sounds awful. Okay, enough of shitting. Uh, um,. <laughs> Okay, a complete tonal swerve. Complete tonal tonal swerve. Um, you've <laughs> you've been. Uh, I'm not sure how to lead into this question. Okay, but you've been working with Greta Gerwig. I have been. <laughs> I mean, is, is that too that much? That is of a, a massive tonal swerve. Do we need to? We've l- gone from like pooing on people to suddenly little women. <laughs> the most. <laughs> idyllic classic there is yep sure little women let's do it do we need, do we need no a, do we need a break i've, in I've got my questions. ribbons in right now okay, i've changed oh, my wow. lycra is gone and my ribbons are in yeah so have you, are you're filming right now right we've finished oh you finished yeah we finished oh, wow, okay and it was in a, a like one of those same as fighting my family really one of those films where you're on set and you're working with the same people every day mm. and then suddenly you like open your eyes and go, whoa, yeah. there are so many important people in this room. Yeah. I better not screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> but um, an amazing, an amazing shoot and uh, such a, such a ridiculous core group of people Incredible. to work with, including Greta being the director. Um yeah, it was mega, and it's one of those films that you 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 realize how lucky you are to be there. And I'm so happy that they chose me to be Amy. Um, and I hope it's going to be as special as all the other versions have been. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. No, we're really excited to sing that. Um, I'm really excited yeah. to see that too. Wait. Yeah, no, it would um, be great. I think that's my time, but of course, thank you so much. The puster. I will not puster anyone in this room. (laughs) I wonder if I can actually use that term again now. It's been tainted. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Okay, and that was Florence Pugh, and we're going to go straight into one more Fighting With My Family interview now. The film marks the solo directorial debut of Stephen Merchant, who's been adding strings to his Ricky Gervais free bow of late, but with this and acting turns in Logan and the Girl in the Spider's Web. He may seem like an unlikely choice to direct a movie about wrestling, but it's worked out pretty nicely. And he was also speaking to John Nugent. Enjoy. 
So, Stephen Merchant, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you How for are having you? me. Honoured to be here. We are here to talk about your new film, Fighting With My Family. Yes. Um, first of all, were you a, a wrestling fan growing up? No, I had no interest in wrestling. Um, I'd never watched it. I used to watch it occasionally if I was with my grandfather, who used to watch wrestling you know, with Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks back in the day. Never understood what was going on. <laughs> Didn't. I, it all looked weird and phony to me. If you remember with those guys, though, they barely... They didn't have any of the kind of gymnastic moves that the uh, WWE wrestlers have. I yeah. mean, they, they were just two big blokes running at each other. <laughs> I, re- I mean, as entertainment goes, it was pretty basic stuff. Um, so I wasn't really into it. But then um, my... Uh, I- I'm sure if you know many of your uh, listeners, if they were to draw up their list of top five movies of all time, I'm sure number four, at the very least, would be The Tooth Fairy, starring me and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And uh, so we, I actually stay, had stayed in touch with The Rock hmm. after um, we made that film. And, um, and he saw a documentary about uh, this family of wrestlers from Norwich, England, while he was in um, London making one of the Fast and the Furious films. Yeah. And he was in a hotel room, and he, you know, he was watching Channel 4, and um, Hollyoaks had finished, <laughs> and on came um, this documentary about uh, his family. And so yeah. I, I think I was probably the only... English person he knew at the time. Um, <laughs> subsequently, he's obviously become friends with Jason Statham, but right. at the time, uh, it was just me. And um, sent me this documentary, and I had no interest in wrestling. I thought I was going to watch it and be bored and sneer and just think, ha-ha, look at these stupid people with their silly hobby, um, and was just completely enamoured by them and by their passion for this very strange world. Yeah. it's. I mean, it is quite an incongruous link, isn't it? The sort of the rock watching Channel 4 just yeah. seems quite... Like, There's just like so just many incongruous links in this. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I'm friends with The Rock, you know, <laughs> I know seems to a lot of people weird. Although I should point out, we are gym buddies. Sure. Um, no, sure. we're not, because he doesn't push himself. That's the problem. I like to go to the gym and really give it an hour of full-on stuff, where he's yeah. kind of very, sl- very lazy, very sloppy <laughs> in the gym. So it just uh, it drives me mad. Um, no, we, we, but we, so th- we, we were sort of stayed in touch, and then, uh, you know, as you know, like you say, it was just odd that he was, mm. you know, in some travel lodge somewhere watching channel four <laughs> but like you say that the, there is a lot of sort of incongruous worlds in this film there's, mm. there's real meeting of worlds in this sort of very humble beginning in norwich and then this huge glamorous world of wwe well the the, the, the to me though the, the film was always going to be um a little bit i kept thinking about sort of um the Wizard of Oz, you know, in the way that it starts in black and white and yeah. then she lands in Oz and, and it becomes Technicolor and this world opens up to her. And I kept thinking of that for this and sort of, the, 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 the you know, that we start in Norwich and it is kind of grey and wintry and sort of, um, and then she lands in Florida and suddenly there's big blue skies and kind of wide angle shots and things mm. because um, that was certainly her experience of going to... Uh, to Florida and also my experience of sort of going to America and going to LA when I first went there you know and, mm. and you sort of land in LA and you know you look around and it's just this sky that goes on forever and this city that goes on forever and, it, and you know coming from England uh, which I think on the whole feels more feels smaller in some ways and feels more contained mm. uh, and so that was sort of the, the one of the jumping off points really for, for how we approached it. And the the real Bevis family, did you, I presume you got to meet them and get to know them a little bit? I went up to meet them and I met them at their wrestling um, haunts in, in Norwich and they were exactly as I'd hoped they were. You know, that within within an hour they were telling me about their 
their rough and tumble past and, and you know, how uh, Ricky the father would say, you know, I was in and out of prison three times before I was 20 and his mother and his wife would say, mainly violence. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I just take these lines and just put them in the movie because yeah. they were they were sort of, um, they're, just, they're just amazing characters. And, and the thing that I was charmed by was this, they have this enormous passion for this thing, for yeah. this wrestling world, and they love it. They talk about it like a religion. They talk about how it helped them turn their lives around. Um, they, they, you know, had trouble with drink and trouble in the past, and that, that sort of wrestling gave them focus and salvation, like other people talk about yeah. Christianity. There's, there is something, because, I mean, I absolutely don't come from a wrestling family, as you can probably No, sure, sure, sure. Or like, if you did, you'd be the, uh, the sort of black sheep of the wrestling. <laughs> I'd be the comedy one, <laughs> you know. Or you'd be the, the commentator. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there's still something that I recognise in this family, in this sort of dynamic, and, uh, yeah. you know, how they sort of come together through conflict and stuff. So well, that's something that appeals. Well, the story to me is about this. there's a family that wrestle, and this brother and sister have grown up in a wrestling world and in a sense your expectation is that the son's destiny is he's going to go off to the glamorous wide world of the WWE which for wrestlers is 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 Hollywood I mean yeah. it's Broadway it's it's yeah. as big as it gets and so and so the fact that he just always assumed that was going to be his destiny and actually it was his sister that got chosen and he had to find new ways of 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 dealing with being left behind was really a really powerful emotional story to me that mm. and and the fact that they wrestlers is almost here and there and so it's very important to me that we made a film that, that that you you didn't need to know about wrestling you didn't need to care about wrestling i kept thinking about billy elliot you don't need to love ballet to love mm. billy elliot's story you just need to love i was going to say teenage boys but that doesn't seem right <laughs> um uh you just need to love the fact that billy elliot loves yeah, wrestling. He happens yeah. to be a teenage boy who loves it, and you're on board because yeah. of his passion. And so it's the same with this family. Really, they they love this thing, yeah. which you may find silly, but they really care about it. And so hopefully you'll care about them. Yeah, I was going to ask actually. It's interesting you bring up Billy Elliot because I wanted to know what sort of films you sort of felt were an influence on this because people might come to this thinking Stephen Merchant. It's like The Office, you know, right. and obviously it is very funny, but it's also like a you know quite an emotional sort of almost like sports movie in many ways. Yeah, I, well, I, I to me it was all. Sort of, it was always I just wanted it to be funny when it needed to be funny and yeah. then dramatic and and when it needed to be because I found that that's what their story was you know and um when I met with them you know they were they're funny and they're performers and and they will say funny things sometimes you're laughing with them sometimes you're laughing at them but then there's also real darkness in their lives and yeah. and ups and downs and emotion and and so I wanted it to to have all that stuff and um Certainly, yeah, there was things like Billy Elliot, and and obviously, you know, I watched a lot of sports movies, Rocky, and um, mm. and uh, lots of those. But it's a little bit more confusing in a way this because we sort of understand that that this is a slightly artificial sport, mm. right? We we know that kind of there's levels of different levels of reality in fiction. And so it's it's not just like rocking, knocking out Apollo Creed because you sort of understand that he's really done that and that means everything. Yeah. In this, when someone knocks someone down in a in a wrestling ring, um, was that planned? Mm. Did that was that agreed upon beforehand? And so I realised that it was actually weirdly. Um, I kept thinking about Gladiator, you know, and where Oliver Reed says to Russell Crowe, you know, it, you, if you win the crowd, you win the you win the right. tournament, as it were. Right. You win your you win your freedom. And so I kept thinking about that with her you know is that as a wrestler you need to win the crowd yeah. in order to to be a star and, and Dwayne 
the Rock Johnson uh, would. <laughs> I just call him Dwayne. Sure. Um, he would. He would explain that to me that literally you. They call it going over. You have to mm. win over the crowd. And so this is in a strange way as much a kind of showbiz star is born. Can they make it on Broadway? kind of story as it is a sports film yeah but it is such a it, despite being you know performance it's such a physical thing wrestling and you know there's prone I mean the real page is obviously retired from injury that's right were there any like hairy moments when you were actually filming the, the wrestling itself uh there were and um both Jack and Florence who play the, the brother and sister um went off to America to Florida to train at the actual facility where page had trained and um so they had to learn to take bumps, as they call them, and there's yeah. correct ways of falling and flipping and all these sorts of things. So they, they immersed themselves in that, and they did as much of the running and jumping and falling over as, as um, possible and that we would allow. Uh, Florence, I think, you know, uh, kind of landed awkwardly for a while and was a little bit um, fragile for a few days, but, but was a pro and just kind of kept fighting through it. So there was always that anxiety about them getting injured. It was a very tight schedule, mm. so we didn't really have time for them to get horribly injured and... And um, but but they just they you know and then they threw themselves into it and 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 they, they were exhausted you know a lot of the time because of course it's like you know it's like filming a fight sequence it's like yeah. filming an endless fight sequence you know um so the rest because wrestling's really taxing and really tough uh and and my fear of injury was one of the reasons why I never stepped in the ring <laughs> I was going to ask <laughs> yes, never yeah. they kept saying should we why don't we throw you why don't we show you how to do it no nope, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. That would be absurd. I mean, you've got, probably got the range, right? You can throw a punch. Well, that's the thing, though. I think as a boxer, okay. I appreciate you saying that, I would be one of the greats. That's obvious. <laughs> I got a long reach. I got the kind of the the, 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 phys the physical uh, stamina yeah. and physique. Yeah. But as a wrestler, it's a lot more kind of bumping and throwing yourself in gymnastics, okay. and uh, and that's a bit tricky for a six foot seven guy. <laughs> um, have the the real family seen the film then? They have seen the film, and they were they were very uh, moved. And then I went off to Florida and showed it to the real page. And mm. um, we were at the kind of WWE training facility, and she was there. And I and she I left her in a room to watch it. And then she said, "I, I want to watch it on my own." And so I just sat outside for an hour and a half while she watched it. And then she kind of texted me. She's like, I, "I'm in tears. I, I don't want to come out. I don't want the other wrestlers to see me crying." <laughs> and um, and she was very moved. And I think she felt like we had. Um, you know, we had uh, told the story effectively. And I think also, we, you know, we, we tried not to shy away from the sort of darker aspects of it. You know, yeah. as Zach, the brother, really struggled with his rejection. The the um, family have got this dark past and sort of there's a lot of trouble in, 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 their, in their history, which we try to include. So um, I think it's quite tough for them, but, mm. um, but they seem to respond to it. And what about the the wrestling community at large? Have have you had any responses from that them yet? Are they, uh, very they, protective. Well, they haven't really seen it yet because because yeah. it, it hasn't been out there. But um, those that are wrestling fans, uh, I, I'm I'm pleased that they seem to have enjoyed it so far. I mean, obviously, I've had to compress things, and like you say, like a film fan, the the wrestling community are real obsessives about yeah. a lot of the history of it and the detail of it and so on. So. I, I, you know, I'm sure that they'll have questions, and you know, there's lots of speculation about is this person supposed to be this person, and so on and so on. Yeah. But I think you know the the sort of broad respect I show for the wrestling world is, um, I think they'll respond to that because I'm trying not to. What I didn't want to do was mock it and sneer yeah. at it and laugh at it because it just I realized straight away that 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 people that love it love it and 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 
And so why was I going to, you know, laugh at it really? Yeah, because you filmed you filmed at Staples Centre, right? You filmed at an actual... We filmed at the actual... Uh, there was a Monday Night Raw, uh, which is the big sort of TV broadcast. They gave us an hour afterwards to film this big match. And uh, The Rock came down and was the sort of compare. And when The Rock goes to a wrestling environment, it is like Elvis has come back. It's yeah. insane. They go crazy for him. And so I knew we only had an hour. And I said, look, when you go out there and explain what's happening, just don't get carried away because we haven't got much time. And he went out in that ring, did 20 minutes, yeah. just talking to the crowd, entertaining them. And I can't communicate with him, so I'm screaming, <laughs> get on with it! It's like the only person who's ever, when The Rock gets in a ring, going, get off! Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, but, I, but anyway, he, he was amazing, and he kind of explained what was happening and kind of helped take the audience through yeah. the sort of mechanics of filming. And then Florence, it was like the fifth day of filming, and she comes out dressed as Paige in front of... 20,000 people and wow. has to go out there and, and recreate a match they had already seen for real some years ago and it's just sort of and her I mean she just was nerve nerveless is <laughs> yeah. that a word? she was yeah. just um, she was incredible yeah I mean that must be a heart pounding moment for you as a director as well right? Just because like, I can't communicate because yeah. everyone's in the ring and it's very hard because I'm sort of up in these this you know, further away looking at these monitors and so we had such a limited amount of time, and so we're yeah. just we're just hoping that all the cameras grab what we need. You know, it was just yeah. it was really tough because you know with, with like Creed or something, they get three or four days to shoot these huge sequences. They have teams of you know um, extras and the rest of it. We 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 didn't have any of that kind of budget, so yeah. we were just you know it was like a guerrilla filmmaking. Um, and then just finally, Stephen, what's what's next for you? Are you gonna keep on directing do you I'm going to become a professional wrestler okay yeah nice. I realise now as I spoke to you that um, <laughs> I've missed my calling and uh, no I'd like to do something else but funnily enough I drew up the other day because I've got time on my hands my top 500 films okay uh, just you know just an idle 20 sure. minutes and it's such an eclectic list and it's such a weird all over the place selection that I was looking at thinking I'd love to make any one of these films and yeah. so I kind of am a bit thinking now I just don't even know where to go you know I mean I've got Michelangelo, Antonioni, you know, art house movies from the 60s. I've got some John McTiernan classics like Predator. So yeah. I don't know, you know, I'd love to do all of it. So yeah. I'm a bit kind of... So any of, any of your listeners and readers' suggestions for, for what to do next <laughs> okay. would be very welcome. And if you were to step in the ring, what would be your wrestler name? Oh, that's tricky. I, I think it would have to be something... Um, Something like the Merchant of Menace. <laughs> Very good. You know I mean? Oh, don't pretend like you've just you know. I literally just, just come up think with that. of that, but I just only then realise it sounds a bit like the Merchant of Venice, and I'm like, oh, that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. Well, we hope to see you either in the ring or you know in the cinemas <laughs> some point very so soon. Stephen, thank you very much. Cheers. We will be reviewing Fighting with My Family on next week's show, which of course is live. We're coming to you live, pre-recorded live uh, from the Glasgow Film Festival. Meantime, let's review this week's releases, and we're going to start with On the Basis of Sex. Not as racy as it sounds, Jimbo. This one is about the esteemed Supreme Court judge, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is indeed, uh, this is Mimi Leder's film about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Supreme Court Justice, the notorious RBG. Although this film doesn't actually touch upon the fact that she's a Supreme Court Justice and in fact takes place, it starts in 1956 and it starts with her in law school and it sort of focuses around a period of her life when she's graduated from law school, she's working as a professor and she brings a landmark case to court to challenge sex discrimination, which until that point had been perfectly legal in the US. Um, it's an interesting one because it doesn't really tackle the interesting section of RBG's life. And actually, the documentary feature RBG does a much better job of showing you why she's awesome. Yes. Um, but I think Felicity Jones really... She brings an intensity. She brings... Uh, 
she brings something of the real RBG to this role and actually is incredibly compelling. The thing about this film is it's 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 a small story and not an exciting story because law by its very nature, unless it's in front of a jury and unless it involves lots of grandstanding and wonderful speeches and sudden rulings by judges. You mean Aaron Sorkin? In, 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 yeah. <laughs> you mean? What I'm saying is unless it has someone saying, you can handle the truth. Or the Ruth uh, in this or the, case. Or the, you Does anyone say that? <laughs> You I want the Ruth. Do you know what? We you need to send this film back. You can't Ruth. handle the Ruth. Uh, no, it's 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 a relatively sedate trial scene in this, and it's most of the film is just her essentially wanging on about sort of legal philosophy, talking to her daughter, and you know, and bemoaning the state of the American legal system while pouring through very large tomes. So, not what I would call a roller coaster ride, but it is really interesting. It's interesting as a history lesson. It's a slightly depressing look at how massively sexist America was in that era, um, and it is interesting to see this landmark sort of case play out. But the really interesting stuff, unfortunately, is relegated to the kind of postscript, you know, text at the end, which tells you what happened to her life later on. As I said, Felicity Jones is very, very good in this. Army Hammer is excellent as her incredibly supportive feminist husband, Marty. There is a schmaltzy feel to this film. Like, Helen reviewed this film and really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, but perhaps in spite of the overly sentimental tone, there's a, there's a hint of movie of the week about this one, uh, <laughs> which is unfair. Fortunate, but genuinely, I really, really enjoyed it. Regardless of that, uh, Helen gave this one three stars, which I think yep. is absolutely fair. It is good. It is a recommendation. Uh, it's great as a history lesson. It's great for some performances. I think it would have benefited from a little more, shall we say, subtlety and a little less emotional manipulation. But nevertheless, it's great. So is she. Maybe go and see it. <laughs> and we should point out as well that this is Mimi Leader. You're saying Leader. I'm saying Leader. This is her first big movie since yeah, since Pay It Forward. Pay it forward like, she's not done a studio feature in a while, but she which has... is crazy. Yeah, but she's been working fairly consistently. She did. Uh, she directed an episode of The Leftovers. She did an episode, of course, of The West Wing. In fact, well, uh, yeah, I think she directed several episodes of The Leftovers actually. But there is an interesting debate to be had about the the concept of movie jail. And the, yeah. uh, and the idea yeah. that it's a lot easier, it would seem, for female directors to get into movie jail mm. and not get out again for a long, long time Do not pass go. than Do it not is for $200. men who can have two or three stiffs in a row and still get big gigs. Whereas Mimi Leader, Patty Jenkins, it was 14 years mm. between Monster and Wonder Woman. Yep, yep, Obviously, yep. there was Thor The Dark World in between. There was a flirtation with that. But that's mm. kind of strange don't you think yeah this is no pay it forward it's a much better film than that it's not like a masterpiece but it's you know it's good the notorious rbg you can't handle the ruth all better names than on the basis of sex <laughs> three stars then for that and yeah. uh, we come on mm. next to uh, capernaum which is a lebanese film from the director nadine labaki and this is a hard-hitting drama nick this is about a, a young boy yeah. a young uh, lebanese boy who is essentially left to fend for himself and another smaller child on the streets of Beirut. Yeah, the title of this film translates as Chaos, which gives you an idea of how uplifting and and happy this film is. It is a dark, bleak, uh, fairly miserable film, but a very powerful one with a lot to say. Yeah, the main character is a 12-year-old kid who is having an absolutely horrible time. His sister is being sold off by his parents to a local greengrocer. He's having to work on the street, uh, his parents are horrible and abusive, mm-hmm. and he decides to run away. And it, the film kind of follows his adventures as he uh, meets this Ethiopian woman with a baby yep. and uh, encounters a man dressed in a Spider-Man costume called Cockroach Man. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it's just really kind of, I don't know if charming is quite the word, but it's it's gritty and it's 
real. The performances were amazing. The, yeah, yeah. the kid who was found on the street, uh, his name is Zain Al Rafira. Yeah, he's, and he plays you know, plays a kid called Zain in the movie as well. Yeah, uh, he's phenomenal. He's terrific. Yeah. Angry, but he has a real heart. This character, uh, he starts looking after this woman's baby because mm-hmm. she gets in trouble, and part of the movie is just is just this twelve year old carrying around a baby, and they're just hustling on the streets, and mm. it's it's fascinating. Um, I really liked it. It is dark. Mm-hmm. It's not a happy film, but it's got just enough humor and hope in it to yeah. keep you going. It's also it's, it's a movie with a lot in its mind. Obviously, it's it's a movie about how there's, there's a generation of kids that are growing up, and you know, especially imagine in places like Beirut, who have no chance mm. whatsoever. They're born into a world. I mean, this kid saying doesn't have any papers, so therefore he's not mm. officially recognized as a system as even someone who exists. So how, you know, he has to scramble and hustle from from day one. Well, no one even really knows if he's actually 12 or not. They're just yeah. guessing. He doesn't even know. Yeah. It's a movie that's that's very sad about the state of the world, very angry about mm. the state of the world as well. I do think there's hope in this film, though. I do think there's optimism. There's really interesting developments right at the beginning of the film, and then the, the film is told in flashback as well, where he actually is suing his parents because he is so angry about the fact that he's been brought into this world, and he hasn't asked to be brought into this world, and so he's suing his parents just for the the act of conceiving him. Mm. Don't give away where that goes, obviously. But, it, yeah, this is, this is a, a really soulful movie. Uh, I think I thought it was absolutely terrific we gave it four, four. stars four stars for Capernaum and uh, yeah absolutely do check it out in a cinema this weekend okie dokie next up we have Cold Pursuit which is the latest film in which Liam Neeson does what he does best not open his big gob and shove his boot into it in interviews but instead hunt down people who have wronged him in some way it's a revenge film and it's a remake of In Order of Disappearance, a Norwegian thriller from a few years ago, which starred Stellan Skarsgård. And this is from the same director, actually. It's a it remake. It is. It is. Jimbo. Hans Petter Moland. This is an odd film because it presents, and indeed to a certain extent has been marketed as, another Liam Neeson rampage of revenge thriller where he just kills loads of bad guys. And it is kind of that. But it's a jet black comedy kind of full of gallows humour and weirdly like we're watching this I didn't realise it was supposed to be a black comedy until a good 40 minutes into the film I was like this is actually trying to be funny um, and it for me I think worked to an extent it uses very larger than life characters it uses ridiculous situations it uses a lot of, uh, of, of just frankly demented comedy devices uh, and some of the laughs are actually quite uncomfortable I mean Ian Freer who reviewed this for us wrote a fantastic review including some extraordinary puns so I definitely recommend that you uh, you check that out but um, this didn't really sit right with me you you had the same sort of experience than I did didn't you I didn't love it I, um, I thought it was an interesting film very well shot actually it was like um, it's yeah. got a lot of uh, little stylistic touches. Every time a character gets killed, which is often, uh, <laughs> a little title card comes up yeah. with the name of the character and they're a sort of symbol to denote their religion, which is carried over from his which earlier iteration from the, of this from the film. Yeah. Thing. But um, it's it's full of little weird um, things like that. It's got a lot of interesting minor characters. I actually found the supporting characters more interesting than the Liam Neeson character. Yeah, Tom Bateman is really fun as the yes. main villain. Uh, I thought for me he was the highlight of the film. The Viking, aka Trevor. <laughs> who's just just a bizarre bizarre sort of weird fussy sort of Patrick Bateman yeah but wildly over the top yes and everyone in this has a crazy nickname and it's just 
it's it's a really strange film and genuinely I think because I went to this a little bit sight unseen having not seen the trailer and assuming what I think a lot of people will assume is that it's yet another sort of commuter slash you know in-flighty mm. typey film what was the in-flight one called? Was non-stop it? non-stop that's the yeah. one Nick gave one star to <laughs> yeah, well done it's, you a know, it's, it's a two a, it's another sort of one of Taken's progeny but genuinely genuinely when it dawns upon you that this is a black comedy I think you have a lot more fun I do think the film gets a little distracted and I think you lose sight of the main storyline the Neeson storyline the well, whole thing with the rival gang gets very... I mean, Laura Dern just went home after yeah. a day on set and no one noticed. I don't understand anyone who cast Laura Dern and then wastes her. She's never been as squandered as she is I in this film. I think she got the call for Big Little Lies. Yeah, two. perhaps that's what it was. She's <laughs> left. Just yep. immediately... Oh, go, uh, okay, look. I'm done. But um, I kind of... I appreciated it to an extent. I think there's more to it than your average Liam Neeson revenge film because I think it's actually got the opposite message. It's sort of an absurdist thing about how when you try and get revenge, it just... It just balloons. There's oh, yeah. no point yeah, yeah. to it. It's, it's no just balls. senseless mm. mayhem and just the number of people who are killed by the end. Yeah, All because of this one thing that starts in a kind of avalanche effect. But it kind of lost me, to be honest, about halfway through. I got, yeah. I got a little bit bored. It's it's and, not thrilling um, enough as a thriller. And to my mind, at least, it's not funny enough as a black comedy. So it doesn't really succeed as either. I had some issues with some of the characters as well. Yeah, um, there's some broad racial archetypes mm. which don't really land very well. Like I said, I think Tom Bateman's great fun in it. Liam Neeson deadpans like no one else on earth. We gave this film four stars. Uh, I'm not sure Nick or myself would necessarily have gone that high, but Ian Freer, who reviewed this, very much enjoyed it. Uh, ben Travis from our office also thought it was very, very funny and mm-hmm. appreciated the gallows humour. So you, two that, did, you two did not. We did not, that fine. is true. Okay. But if that sounds like your bag and you're uh-huh. a fan of Big Liam, then by all means, go for it. Four stars then for Cold Pursuit, which was, of course, called Hard Powder back in the day. Uh, and this is, interestingly, of course, you know, the movie in which Big Liam opened his gob uh, yeah. recently. But, and it will come to be known as that for forevermore. But this is also the movie on which a Vancouver sandwich store called Big Star Sandwich put out a sign on their sidewalk that said, Liam Neeson eats here for free. Do you remember the story? No. And then Liam Neeson turned up. <laughs> and did he eat for free? I don't think he ate anything, but he just turned up and took some pictures and then they were all like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then they got some uh, lovely uh, shots out of it as well. So there you go. Big Star Sandwich. Yeah. Empire Podcast eats for free. But there you go. Did he eat the sandwich there or did he have a taken away? Oh, no. Four stars then for Cold Pursuit. And that is it for this week's Bumper Empire Podcast. Uh, Join us next week for more film-related fun We'll be coming to you live from the Glasgow Film Festival. Well, again, pre-recorded live. But it'll be live for the people in the room, pre-recorded for everyone else, with our very special guest, Sir Michael Palin. Now, that show is not going to be recorded until next Sunday, March the 3rd. So it won't be up until likely Monday, March the 4th. Now, obviously, that means there won't be a regular podcast next Friday. There will be something up in its stead, but I'm not quite sure what. It'll probably be one of the many episodes of the ranking that I owe you guys, and I will get around to it at some point, I promise you. Uh, Also out at the same time as this podcast will be our Alita Battle Angel spoiler special with director Robert Rodriguez and producer John Landau, so you can listen to that as well. And of course, I'm going to give a plug to our very first podcast documentary, or if you will, podumentary, in which James Cameron recounts the story of Avatar and its incredible success. It's the first podumentary of our hashtag Empire 30 birthday celebrations. We're incredibly proud of it. And it's a, it's a different. It's it's not this. It's not three or four idiots uh, in a room having a chat idiot. about movies. It's just one idiot uh, in a room uh, reading stuff. But it's better than it sounds. I'm... <laughs> 
you're really selling it. No, it is fantastic. I'm not I've good listened at the hard to it. Sales. It's great. Uh, <laughs> genuinely, no, it, works, it works really well, and not just because it uses an interview that I did in 2008. So yeah, so there's there's interviews from stuff that um, James was on set with of, of Avatar. So we use interviews from that. I did an interview with him on the phone immediately after the sea and the movie's huge success back in 2010. And there is a brand new interview that we did with him just a couple weeks ago, uh, an extensive interview in which, of course, he reveals amongst other things the fact that uh, Sam Worthington narrowly beat off Chris Evans and Channing Tatum to get the part. <laughs> and hell isn't even here. I feel like that the choice of words was wasted. <clears throat> but anyway, there you go. Until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from producer Jane. Goodbye. That is this. That sounded really unenthusiastic. <laughs> no, this, this, this is good. This, this is, that, that was said like someone who has to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> it is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. Do check out the Pilot TV podcast this week, whereupon we oh. will have seen, this time with Alan Partridge and and oh. the second series of Fleabag. Oh, see, that, that's, that sounds good. See, that sounds like I might actually you should listen, listen to it. No. It's goodbye from Nick DeSemlian. Goodbye, Hawksters. <laughs> Is that Louis Armstrong? I think I'm getting it. Hulk Hogan. I think I'm getting it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that Paul Giamatti was in this podcast. Go on, do a Paul Giamatti do. Oh, I'm right here, Chris. I've been here all the time. It's just so terrible. I can't cope. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to pop a cream egg into the fridge. It's not as sexual as it sounds. I'm just preparing a snack, just in case my will falters and I do end up watching the Oscars after all. Creme. Creme. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. And by popular demand, here is the return of my sign off. Pod bye. Yeesh.